So I'm just I'm just trying to say I'm just I just want to reiterate real quick when when you put your sexual subordinate you know if you're if you're feeling dominant and the other person is feeling um, submissive in that relationship uh, as that dynamic works and if you're someone who you brought up handcuffs yeah I brought up rope because I I've I've got my knots down people. And uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do the handcuff knot, and the problem with the handcuff knot, everyone knows, is uh, is Gacy. <laughs> Gacy used to do magic tricks of claiming to put boys into uh, knots that they won't be able to escape, and and the tough guys would be like, oh yeah, put me in the knot, and then he would, and then they'd be like, oh fuck, I can't get out. You're right, and then he'd be like, I know, and then stab them and fuck their corpses. And then put them in his basement, <laughs> and then maybe fuck them later. Uh, probably. So the problem with the handcuff knot is that you gotta think about not killing and fucking the person that you put in the handcuff knot. I mean, um, this is a problem I <laughs> I fight with every time I do the handcuff knot. I, pro- I probably should in- invest in a pair of fucking yeah just, uh, handcuffs. Yeah, just go the extra or not even handcuffs. Like they even have like the sexy the, ones where it's yeah, like, like it's the like gauntlets that, or brace, yeah, exactly. braces. Yeah, Pretty much, um, it's like, braces with different locks on each side, so you could like mm-hmm. do front and back, do fucking hogtied feet to ankles to <laughs> wrists. Yeah, that's a fun one. I hope there are people out there who realize that, like, I'm literally talking about just tying a girl up and doing whatever I want <laughs> with her, because uh, that's that's apparently happening in my near future, um, and I don't even feel ashamed to be sharing it on this podcast. She doesn't sure. listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, the So the last couple times, you've said that if you weren't recording this, you'd probably be getting laid. Well, that's the, that's the story, Ahab. Yeah. The first time she was supposed to come over, she tells me that I don't have my priorities straight. And I say, fuck you. At least the podcast has stuck around the last three years. Yeah. And then she blows me off, and I blow myself that night. The second time, after we both apologized to each other about being douchebags and going sexless for another week... She is literally about to come over, wakes up the next morning, and it's her period. Yeah. And she did not want to have sex on her period. I'm not, like... I'm not going to judge. I've done it with, like, four or five different women, all women that I've dated for extensive amounts of time. And, like, you gotta be at a certain point in your relationship Mm -hmm. to be comfortable with doing that. And, like, this girl also wanted me to go down on her. And, like, I'm not going to claim to be really great at it, but I'm really great at it. So, like, I had wanted to... And the idea of her calling me, like, Captain Redbeard for the rest of the day was just not (laughs) 
in my like yeah. resume, you know, like I'm not it's, into that. It's kind of on both people. Where what do like, they call that? An iron angel? It's, uh, it's really about. gross. Yeah, I'm not a fan. So I, I wasn't gonna do that, and we both mutually agreed to go sexless again for another week. So you came in a day earlier this week. I was able to move some plants around. Yeah. Apparently, uh, the quarantine quarantine is gonna end. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. What I was going to say is this is my week that if I hadn't been here, I'd be getting laid right now. I'm uh, how the the the, yeah. the shoe the shoes on the other it, it table is on the other now, table, yeah. right? <laughs> um, how the tables have shoed. And it was one of those things that it was like foot. I I was in town for a couple days and it was probably like I want to say like four o'clock and I got the text and I was just like, God damn it. Like I, I already have too many things in a row to be able to move them now. Right. You also didn't want to do a ton of driving. Yeah. Like I, so I was at my, my parents today. I was at my parents from last night all day today. And I would have had to leave there, drive back to where I'm from, which is about an hour. Yeah. Um, work, drive back here an hour, and then drive back there an hour. And I was like, well... No. Yeah, like, I can make this whole thing... How about no? Yeah. <laughs> so I do appreciate the uh, flexibility to move me uh, around. You're not the only one. <laughs> so, uh, obviously... This is episode 166. Where am I? With Where Am I? And we're here for the finale effort. Uh, I am very excited for this. Of A Curious Mind is a Terrible Curse. I'll, I'll be honest. I would have, for the finale of this series, I probably would have blown off sex pretty much. I'm if, gonna, I had, if, I'm if I had gonna reversed say my it. knowledge of that, I probably would have. I'm going to say it. I'm kind of glad that we got through this mm-hmm. and now my like dessert for afterwards is finally having sex. Yeah. So yeah. like this has been a, this has been a journey. So regardless of how this ends, you're this probably narrative, gonna get laid. The narrator is gonna get like fucking killed by the yeah. end of the story. And I'm gonna be like, don't care had sex. <laughs> Cause I'll be editing this on Sunday. Yeah. So well, won't matter at that point. There is a percent chance that at one o'clock in the morning I still am able to get a little Frisky. A little bit of... Just a little bit. Loving. Probably not. Like, I'm not planning on it, but I'm like... There's like 5% of my head that's like, that'd be really cool. <laughs> that'd be real choice. That'd be real nice, fella. <laughs> we uh, we I, enjoyed that one. I was gonna say, the, uh, my, my little man, my little Charles, here I am. <laughs> I'm your little boy. It's like yeah. they refused to call him their son. So we just came up with the narrative that yeah, that, that it he was, was just a small person that they hung out with. Yeah. Which is like which is Mr. Poopy Butthole. Yeah, exactly. So can we talk about that finale? Oh, season four finale was so fucking good, man. That I that actually, is literally one of the best shows ever made. Yeah. It really is. I haven't seen the second half. Well, I saw and the you first don't need a high IQ half. to enjoy it. Yeah, <laughs> I hate the fans of 
of Rick and Morty. I I am the quintessential <laughs> fan though. No, you're like, not. Okay, realistically, right? I've been played playing this game for a long time, right? I've been playing this game twenty eight years. There are so many fucking things that I see, and I'm like, I don't really like that. And they're like, but you are that. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like hipsters, man. Like I I went through this thing where I was like, dude, I don't really like hipsters. I don't really fuck with that. I you know that and then it's you just not my scene. One day. And then yeah, I looked in a mirror and I was like, wait, have I been a hipster the whole fucking time? Like, and then, and then like, is the self-deprecation part of it? I was gonna say it was the, like the little sixth sense kid had to tell you. Like yeah. he walked up and he was like, "You were a hipster mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, I see hipsters." So I, you know, like I look at these fans of Rick and Morty and I go, oh, "I don't like that type of person." And then like I look in the fucking mirror again and go, oh, "But I yeah. am kind of an asshole." Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I know for a fact I would not get along with myself. Like, I just, I've ex- fully accepted that. Like, I don't, I don't get it along with myself as is. So how would I get along with a, a self I mean, that I... I, I want to say yes, but at the same time, let me argue, no one knows you better than yourself. Also true. So like, I would like to think, if I had my best interest in mind thinking of myself as another person, yeah. empathetically, I would try to be cool. I, I'm sure, I'm 100% positive you, that I hang out with, with worse people than me. you lay down with some weed and some magic. And yeah, you'd exactly. Like, like, you'd be like, all right, I guess this isn't that bad. Yeah, yeah. As long as you just didn't try to kill each other. That's usually what, what and, does it. And actually, if I didn't live with myself, that might be awesome. Like, if I could just, like, nah, be like... it's just a buddy that just came over sometimes. Yeah. I want to go to him, though. I want to have the ability to leave whenever I want. See, people come to me. Yeah. I have like a Godfather syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> I don't go anywhere. I I don't, I don't go anywhere anymore. Nobody People comes come to, to me. me. <laughs> yeah, like I mean that's also a lie. I go to see my uncles. I go to see my friends in, yeah. in the place I grew up in. I go to see my fucking dad in Philly all the time. Like I, I, I go a lot of places. I guess it's just during the quarantine I've I've maintained a Godfather status where it's just like if anyone's doing anything, they're coming to my house because I know my house is clean. I know my house is safe, and I know that what we do here is going to be both fun and productive, even if it's just playing board games and watching movies. Yeah. That's my idea of productive. I mean, I do hope to have some type of m- mediocre-sized get-together at the uh, the new place. Yo, Because I, I could have, like, three or four people, like, just, like, Saturday night, spend the night, play D&D Sunday, get some dinner, go home. That'd be a time. You know, like Saturday night, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm not gonna say party. Is but it a house or a flat? It is, it's kind of like a townhouse. Okay. You know, my neighbors, their walls are connected, but like I have, uh, the, we're not stomping on anyone. I'm stomping on myself. Yeah. Right. No, I gotcha. So if we were like dancing around, jumping around, it's like, the kind of place my dad lives at. Yeah. It's, a, you, you have your own house, but it just, it does share one entire wall with another. Well, Mine shares, well, it shares one one wall with people, and then another wall with utilities, and then people. Interesting. So you got to be like... a corner. No. The building is set up. It's a big, long building. It's set up into three chunks. Gotcha. So there's 12 of them. So I'm in a grouping of four. I've seen these. And I'm the end of the four. Yeah. So, like, there's a pretty big gap between me and the next person over. Um, but there is an next person over, you know, like if we're wrestling, we will eventually break their wall. You know, we just might have to break us, uh, 
Wrestling. a water heater, you know, in between. I'm good on that. I am fucking baked. Ever since we talked about it at D&D on Monday, I've just been, like, dying to play the thing game. Yeah. I keep trying to come up with ways. I've talked about it on the show before. We have, like, a LARPing slash board game slash escape the room thing that I created. Yeah, very much Literally fun. based on the thing um, that we just play, like, in a house. It's, like, literally a house game. You, you always describe it as an escape room more than I do, but in reality, it is more of an escape room than it is... Yeah, there are, pu- there are puzzles, there you are know. strategies, there are ways to both win and lose. Yeah. And you are essentially locked into one location, theoretically, trying to summon helicopters, quote-unquote, to, quote-unquote, escape the house. You know, and this might just be the, the, the weed talking, I'm surprised there aren't more live-action board games. Well... When did this branch off, you know? Like, like there was always an at-home entertainment where it was like kids would have little vests with lights or, like, Nerf guns and they'd sure. run around and shoot each other. And at its core, this game does have that element. Like, I literally have Nerf guns that you find in-game that you utilize as items and weapons, um, amongst other weapons. But the, the, the core at its purpose is still... I am on a team, I have a Nerf gun, yeah. there is another team but the, somewhere. The rules are so fleshed out that oh, it, it it's, seems it's a lot more complicated. It's a yeah. lot more complicated. Like and I take that as a compliment. Um, I I wrote like eight pages of fucking instructions yeah, to, absolutely. To, to build this thing. And, and people needs, and people still try game master. Like people still try to poke holes in it with like little like loopholes and shit. And we find ways to roll roll them off. You yeah. know, like for the it's most part, for the most part, it is. For the most part, everyone kind of understands the boundaries, and when someone out, and this has happened too, when someone outsteps those boundaries, it usually curves itself back because that person usually ends up getting killed. Yeah. If you are not playing the game correctly, or if you're trying to quote unquote get away with something, it usually ends up getting you killed. Because mm-hmm. the game is meant to be played a certain way. Yeah. So if you're acting a certain way, people in the game are just going to assume you're nuts. It's, it's more like... And they don't like, want to be stuck with a nuts person. Yeah. It's more like your rules aren't, here's how to play the game. The rules are, here's how to play the game safely. You Absolutely. Know? And, and sure, some of the techniques that are used... The strategies would, are all ...would you. be effective. It's the fact that you have to... Like, if this were a video game, and this is what I compared it to when we were talking to our mutual friend uh, at D&D on Monday, if it were a video game, it would be almost a, a mix of Trouble from Terrorist Town and, like, I don't know, like a horror game, you know? Like, you are, you are both trying to survive, but you were also trying to test other people you're with. There is a deeper level of strategy behind the I must survive the five nights, quote-unquote, or the five rounds. The deeper meaning is I must not be turned into an alien who is an alien. I must try and kill them um, to survive. You know, surround myself with people I trust. Um Try to work on puzzles. Try to find weapons and items. Try to... And that's just the loose way how to play the game, to get through the five rounds. But in those rules are is so much 
room for, well, if you're the alien, or if you are, if you want to play differently, you can do this, you can do this, this, that, and that. <coughs> and ultimately, you know, the betrayal factor is there. You know, you can work through an entire night with someone, yeah. and they could just turn around and get you in the last fucking chapter, you know? There are items and there are abilities, quote-unquote, that characters get to use because I have, like, laminated character cards for everyone. I would say the only thing we don't have is, like, theme music <laughs> and a dedicated place to play it. Yeah. Those are, like, the two things I would like. Like, if we could get, like, a and b for, like, a weekend mm -hmm. that's just, like, a six-bedroom house in the middle of fucking nowhere, yeah. I would invite like, eight of my closest friends to just be like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pay 80 bucks for the weekend. We're going to get some food. We're going to go up. And on Friday night, we're going to play the thing game. All day Saturday, you can do whatever the fuck you want. At Saturday night, we play the thing game. And then on Sunday, we eat a, a giant-ass yeah, breakfast. Like and you go the brunch fuck home. Brunch and... Actually, if it was 80-plus alcohol, that'd be pretty decent. I, I will say, and I don't want to kind of be that guy but i would pay way more than that like, i appreciate that because it speaks to the product yeah. and mostly for the the quality of life during the rest of that weekend oh right i wouldn't want to spend would 80 vacation, bucks you know? enjoy the thing game but then like the rest of it like kind of sucked you know well, like, you would it would be almost it would be it's like glamping you yeah know? it's not camping it's going up to the woods and playing a game with your friends yeah like, like we're i'm 28 I can't. I can't camp anymore. To do yeah. that, oh no, I can't camp anymore. I, I probably could. Yeah, uh, if, if you, you get me an me air mattress and a tent, like take me up to Wall and Paul Peck, I'll be fine. I, don't know. I would say if you gave me three months, I'd be ready to go. Nah, I could camp. You you could tell me, let's go camping this weekend, and I'd be like, let me get my stuff from my mom's. Because it's it's no different than how I'm living right now. Yeah. I'm already hot, sweaty, and not showered. <laughs> like. The um, take me and put me in some woods. I don't give a fuck. I, I guess I'll bring my machete. I don't the, give a dick. The the physical aspect of it to me seems like, because if I What's was the physical aspect, because well, if I went camping, I would do it a hundred percent on my own. I wouldn't go to a site. I would literally go to a I'll trail. Fuck you. You'd and come backpack. to you'd come to Wall and Palpeck with us with next to a little <sighs> lake. We'd smoke weed every morning. I'd pan fry us some fucking breakfast. I wouldn't want to play the thing game there though. No, 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 no. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying you would go camping. It's like glamping, where we have like a dedicated house. Yes. And we have like an acre of land. And, like, the place I described to you, where I just recently went to Pittsburgh, mm -hmm. I wouldn't drive four hours for this thing. I would. But, because <laughs> this place... I was, keep saying... Well, I also... This I have, place was fucking perfect. My, my best friend lives in Pittsburgh. So that gives me a lot of bias of, like, that free time, I'm yeah. going to go see him. That's fair. You know, like... And I haven't seen him since pre-quarantine. Um, and we usually, we travel to magic tournaments together. I haven't seen together. so many people since pre-quarantine. Yeah, man. so I'll see them like once every three months anyway. Yeah. But now it's been like almost a year. It's like seeing Tom. It's It's been about uh, seven months. Yeah. You know? I would say I see Tom uh, every six months, but now he's moving back to Florida. Really? I didn't know that. Literally the week that Crying Hawaiian gets to Brooklyn, I find out that yeah. uh, Tom Bombadil has to leave Brooklyn. <laughs> and I'm just like, shit, man. When we were in high school, 
I know you played Airsoft with us once or twice. Yes. Do you with, remember uh, that giant... Yeah, man, R.I.P. Yeah. Do you remember coming to the farmland? The, yeah, the giant barn. That was like an hour north from here. It wasn't even that far. Lionheartsville? Right. I'm being, I'm generalizing because oh. I don't want people, to, the NSA to fucking single out our location. Fair enough. Um, but I what mean, I'm saying is it's like an hour north of here, and all it was was co- corn farmland, a giant ass two two level barn, yeah. and like a ranch house. Yeah. Like, like, all within its own, like, couple acres. And there was forest, and there was field. I got and there really was drunk so, that day. There was so much... I got fucking pelted in the back from two <laughs> feet away with a fucking sniper rifle. Yeah. That's what I remember yeah. about that day. I also remember also, like, almost hyperventilating from the heat. It was so fucking mm-hmm. hot that day. I don't remember driving home. Like, I, I got I got dehydrated, man. Were you in my car? I don't know. I think I you were. I drove. No, I think you were in my car. Oh, I think I took you, Tom, and, oh, and like one. That's other why person. I was drinking because I wasn't fucking driving. driving. I fucking I I knew for the, a fact I blacked out it. And I remember I either gave or, you guys uh, stuff or soft? you showed up with a shitty little pistol. Yeah. Oh my god. I, I think spent, I gave you. I something. spent like thirty five dollars at Dick's and then had to borrow shit. <laughs> like I remember giving you something just to be like, "Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Here's like a little Uzi or something." Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, that was that was a that was a fucked up time because so many of those kids we were playing with had such better guns than us, so we were yeah. just getting nailed. Anyway, the difference between a thirty-five dollar airsoft gun and a two hundred dollars, yeah, three hundred dollar gun. It's um, big metal case shit. That yeah. was the sniper I got hit with. It's fucking metal case from two feet away. I hated it. If we got a place like that, yeah. Oh my god, we'd be so fucking set. To mm-hmm. play this game because the farm, the farmhouse would be the See, base. If we went the to that exact spot, house. I probably would have jumped off the barn. <laughs> probably, <laughs> not a hundred percent. I don't know, man. That's like twelve feet. Yeah, you think I haven't done stupider shit than that? Come on, now. I would say maybe into a hay bale or something. I wouldn't just let you jump <sighs> to the ground. I mean. If, if you, depends how are you is. telling me we're not even doing anything and everyone looks up at the farmhouse well, well, no. and you're 12 I, feet up going, I'm gonna fucking <laughs> do it! I'm uh, gonna jump! I'm saying I and would And everyone just goes, like, what? If, what? <laughs> like, if I looked at it in, in-game as a life-or-death situation, I'd probably do that. That's worth it to me. It's like, we're not even doing anything. We're, like, talking about, like, going into town and getting lunch and just, like... <laughs> Where am I? It's just I'm on the second floor jump. of a barn just being like, For I'm no going to fucking do it, guys. But I could handle it if I had to. Okay, I get what you're saying. And I would find an excuse to. Dude, if I could actually black out during that game. <laughs> like, it, cause, I'm surprised cause you haven't. I've browned out. Um, I've never blacked <laughs> out. But because I've always been in a situation where I'm like, I have to drive. So there's always that... Well, that's the glory of doing it exactly. at a place where we wouldn't have to go anywhere. So that last round of the night, my only I'm always worry, never drinking. My only worry is that we would break something that wouldn't be at a property that we don't own. That's fair. And I wouldn't want to be fiscally responsible for that type of mayhem. I'm just I'm just saying that I'm, uh, I'm itching to play that game again. Same. Same. Itching to play that game again. Because I think we didn't get to play it last summer, and I was super bummed. Um... Or we got to play it, like, once yeah. right before I moved. Because I moved in, like, June. Mm-hmm. So I think we played it, like, once in May, and then... Yeah, it was, like, the I last hurrah. Yeah. And it was good. Mm-hmm. I would... Uh, it is a good time. The 
Betraying if, your friends, shooting them with guns. I would like to see how it develops as well. Uh, and actually, I might yeah. offer to buy it from you someday. Buy it? Yeah, monetize it. I mean, I'd love to turn it into a product, yeah. you know? I'd love to turn it into a product, which is why I think I don't post it online. But when Yeah, when I'm like a, a billionaire producer of like different games and and Oh, uh, if you get in with shit, like Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, like or if something. I ever do that, I'm buying that shit off you and I'm going to No, no, make no you're it not buying it off me. Sure. We're, we're co doing it. We'll we'll work out a contract at the time. <laughs> My lawyers will talk to your lawyers. We'll figure some shit out. That's what I'm saying though. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Because it is absolutely my child, and I came up with everything, yeah. <laughs> so I will oversee it. Fair enough. Uh, but Maybe yeah. I'll be offering you a job. Say, but hey, you yeah. wanna, uh, you wanna, you wanna direct your own <laughs> fucking game, there, Mister. I got a whole team for you, ready to go. <laughs> they do whatever you say. It'll <laughs> be good. <laughs> uh, we're we're stoned and we're rambling man. like <laughs> yes, you gave me a sativa bad. and then you literally said man this makes me talky and the <laughs> next thing i know there's been like a half hour yeah we're just a half hour of us just talking bullshit and and you literally turned to me at one point and you were just like i think we should start recording now yeah and i was like because we were going I was like all right because we we're, we're just... already we're already having <laughs> yeah, that conversation i guess the, the podcast I... started about 10 minutes before we actually started hitting record <laughs> i looked at both you both of us were in character both of us were doing what we do on here it's not in character it's how we are yeah whatever i I was telling him a TMI, a story that I thought would be t- too much information. Because if I talk about this stuff, like, around Franz McBoohoo, he'll just be like, I don't really want to hear about your your story slaying the gash, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and I'll just be like, fair. And then, like, fucking Terry the Tickler will be like, stop talking. So, you know, like, <laughs> so, like, I don't, I don't like doing that and going there, but you immediately were just like, why don't you just press record? And I was like, oh, I was having like a, like yeah. a fairly intimate, like conversation about sex <laughs> and you want to just put this on the episode. I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm just saying I'm that fine I, with it. I enjoy the intimacy with the audience. Um, I was comparing, I mean, I made fucking sex noises on our last episode. <laughs> you I a, got down and you dirty. You made a lot of noises yeah. on our last episode. And and may we for those apologize. Who haven't listened, may we apologize <laughs> as a podcast for episode one sixty five. I still regret nothing. There there will come sort of. a time. There will I don't have many regrets in life. <laughs> I'm not gonna finish the sentence. So there will come a time, I would say another three years from now, we've done another hundred and fifty episodes. Yeah. And someone's just gonna be like Remember that time we read Vor? And I'm going to be like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is going to live with me for a long time. It's going to live with me a lot longer than I'd like it to. So here's the and thing. And I, I wished it would have died with me the second it ended. I'm following... See, here. here's what happened. But that little man is inside me. <laughs> You're carrying him. Yeah. In He's in my soul. Life. I read the second part. Really? After you guys left. Just to be like, just to be like, what more could this person possibly do? And if I were to sum it up for everyone, it would be the same woman contemplates suicide for her actions and then proceeds to eat the wife and her two babies because they want to be with 
the father slash husband that was eaten in the first episode. Yeah. And then is it as, sexual as well? No, okay. it is deeply traumatic, like PTSD. Like she, See, she feels like she took advantage of this little guy and then killed him, um, and she wants to kill herself for doing it. Yeah. And then she goes, to, she goes to kill herself. I after, almost want to fucking read it now. After eating them, she goes to kill herself, and she is woken up by a small, like hundred person, tiny army that uh, sutured her her wounds brought her back to life, and are now saying, give us the afterlife by also eating all of us. And she, like, screams for, Ooh, like, for, like, for, like, creating her own hell, essentially. And it's a, it's a, it's an excessive ending. Like, literally, the minute she, like, quote-unquote, eats the babies, I was like, I'm so fucking done reading this. Yeah. But then I kept going because I had to know how it ended. Yeah. And, um, without the sexualization, like it, it actually is something that I enjoyed. Without, I wouldn't say I will never say enjoyed <laughs> in the same sentence. I, I, the idea of Vord just naturally disgusts me, and I had to double back on that because I'm really into the um, the anime slash manga Attack on Titan, and part of me had to like come to terms with like shit, like you have seen people just, like, flat-out eaten alive and, like, digesting in, like, stomach acid, like, in this anime, and, like, that kind of, like, turns some people on. And that is where I lay my judgment. What I will say, the story, they're all written by the same guy. He's a very good writer. We've read him on hundreds of episodes, literally hundreds of episodes. Yeah. And that is the grossest I think he's ever been. And it's because, and it's because as I was reading it, I felt like I was almost experiencing the pain and tasting it. Yep. And I was not into that. Very much so. Like, I remember drinking a Coke and just tasting the tin of my can, and I was just like, now I'm thinking about eating a small person, and I just feel like I'm going to throw up. (laughs) So yeah, uh, I will never say I enjoyed reading that story, but what I will say is it was very well done and left us all traumatized. (laughs) Uh, where am I? Yeah. Is nodding his head. I took a sip at the very wrong moment. I'm good at that in the beginning. Well, I'm I'm bad at that at the beginning, and then I get a little bit uh, more fluid with it as as I get into the uh, swing of things. I've noticed that sometimes. But that's with anything else, you know. You need a little time to warm up, to stretch out. Oh, to get the legs moving. Yeah, yeah. Because I I know you said it earlier, and you you were like, "This is who we are." Um, while, yes, this character, this, this, uh, portrayal is like 98% me, I am in character. There's, oh, absolutely. You know, like, I am, I am on a stage, I am performing. This this couch is our stage, and we were sitting here smoking, talking shit. Which is 50% of the product. The other 50 (laughs) is literally reading a story. Um, so, you know, we were already there. So I'm, I absolutely agree with you. But at the same time, like, throughout my day-to-day life, I will make fun of shit the same way I make fun of yes. shit on this show. But if my brother says something fucking stupid in front of me, I go, why are you so fucking stupid? The, the, my thing is that um, it's, it's all about the emotion and the attitude. Uh, and some of that comes back to the mental health thing where there are certainly times in my my 
everyday real life where I wouldn't be able to do this. But regardless of the day that I've had, whether you know I have the capability to, to produce this type of um, reaction... Energy. Yeah. Action. Yeah. Uh, I can hit a... F- I can flick a switch because I'm on the couch. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what happened in the past. <laughs> you know, it's I'm the atmosphere, here, I'm it's ready. the performance. Yep. You were you were always the same way with acting too. Mm-hmm. I remember when when we were doing my show our senior year, I would literally like ask everyone to like get ready, get in character and just do their shit and you were always just like on point, just like already there. Yeah. Ready to do it. I'm up, I'm on the stage already. So I'm not going to, like, drop this, like, quote-unquote act or Mm. this character or this personality, you know? And I appreciate that. And I think, like, um, there are definitely some people who are completely, like, just two-dimensional on this show. Yeah. Where it's just, like, that is literally how they are in real life. Mm -hmm. And they are just doing it for the show. Yeah. But we are entertainers. We are comedians. We are our own amateur anything. If if this wasn't produced as something that people want to listen to again, it would innately fall apart. So you kind of Or if just people didn't want to listen to it. That too. But like the fact that to, we have an audience cr- makes it a product. Yes, exactly. But you can't you can't so n- be negligent about a product and have it continue. No, I agree. And I think and I think we've come a long way mm-hmm. in kind of shaping that shaping that transformation and that appearance. Because when you think about it, like, there are some people who, like, listening to the first couple episodes of this show, where they were just like, I can't get behind this. (laughs) I remember when you were writing episodes down on a piece of paper. Yes. Like, the level of production value has gone up significantly. Yes, like I the, remember. Your, I, I went and, digital. And you're more comfortable with it. <laughs> at some point, I went digital. I did have everything written down in papers at one point. Um... I just started to file my stuff better, I guess. Mm-hmm. Multiple hard drives, backup in a cloud, you know. Everything is everything is in my notes. There there are literally 10 pages of notes. Yeah. for this show and it's who's on it on what episodes um and what we what we were reading, you know, what was read, what can be read, what is available, what is taken. Um, and it's down to the very story and page count. Mm -hmm. There's a fucking inventory, man. And this like series that we've been doing, uh, if it's a three part episode, that's like a 150 page inventory, just like being removed from the master catalog. Like it's always, okay. It's always like a huge weight. Like I always look at, the the master catalog list mm-hmm. of all the stories and whenever we finish like a fucking series i just delete the entire thing and i'm just like ooh that was like a big old bite yeah you know yeah. <laughs> i get i get like a sense of satisfaction out of it because the list is constantly growing i don't know if people know this as much but like you could send me shit to read and like two or three people absolutely have and we have read their stuff or even stuff they've submitted on the show before, like, I had an author, like, send me his work and tell me to read it. Like, uh. I had people who just literally <laughs> post whatever, and they're just like, I really found this story interesting, I think you should read it on the show. And I say, fuck yeah. I love how in the middle of us talking about the level of production, there's a big old burp. 
I'll take my dick out right now. <laughs> it does not take away from the level of production or seriousness. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm aware. It just, it was amusing to me. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's. Uh, I'm. You're acting like I've never done it before. I'm. I'm just saying, like. <laughs> you'd do the same. Absolutely. And that's why it happened. Yeah. I had a choice. Uh huh. To burp and I or absolutely would have done the same. And I literally I would have made the same decision. I'm in the middle of a sentence. I'm gonna let time. it rip. Yep. So <laughs> this this story has been such a fucking roller coaster. It has, it has. There have been some really good ones that have stuck with both of us where like we finished the last episode and we still hung out for like an hour because both of us were a little spooked. Yeah. Like Nothing about the existentialism of, like, uh, the looming shadow of death or, like, an old folks' home, like, really fucking puts you mm. down at the end of the night. And we're stoned ponies. Yeah. And it's, so it's like, so that, it's just... that completely takes control of the room. Um, so we ended up playing What the Golf <laughs> for, like, an hour <laughs> and had a really good time. Yeah. Which is a fantastic game for people who are both stoned and stupid. Pick up that game. You'll have a giggle. Um, Certainly worth the... Uh, just like Goose Game. Just, yeah. Just pick it up. Just play it. You'll have the time. A Curious Mind is a Terrible Curse. We have read two other parts. What, out of the two episodes, which would you say has been your, your favorite so far? Um, or what stands out? You know, talk about what you want to talk about. What do you gravitate towards the 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 thing that will stick with me the longest is, is going to be the suicide room in the nursing home um going to see aunt sue yeah it it certainly was a uh heavy hitter in my book um it's not the only heavy hitter but it's the one that i know like when i forget all the other stories that's the one that i will remember yeah and that's because you explained your yeah. Familiarity with the topic. I was at two different ones within the last 48 hours. Yeah. What time is it? 8 o'clock? I have been at two different ones within the last 24 hours. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you see that shit. You reflect that shit. You think about it. You dwell on it. The, um, for the wrong reasons, the orphan one stands out, and that's just because we laughed at it so much. Yeah. With Abraham. Um... <laughs> Abraham. Abraham and Clemente and yeah. Uh, what was his name? Grape Ape. Uh, King Kong. <laughs> Kong. Right. Yeah. Kong. That's what, yeah. Kong. <laughs> Satya. Sanya. What are what are the names? What are there? Did names? I didn't walk walk queen? I didn't know what they were as I was reading Wa-queen. them. I certainly don't know what they they are now. <laughs> Temecula? I don't know, man. There were a lot of things. So, um, no, I think my favorite one is still, um, from last episode was definitely the, uh, the Aunt Mary, the, the curse, the cursed Aunt Mary who sees the visage of death and it basically final destinations her on what to avoid in her life. And then you just know in that last page when she's talking to her, uh, granddaughter, grandson or or granddaughter, yeah. She um she's totally just staring at death that's just slowly looming in on her. 
Yep. And it's just terrifying. Some terrifying shit. Um, and then standout from episode one will continue to be Gurgles and Bugman. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's um, just... I I don't fuck with clowns. And I know I ruined something about this episode. There was another episode. one. I ruined something about this episode for myself. So I'm going to ruin it for you, too. <laughs> Which is that another clown motif okay. shows up. I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with it. <laughs> uh, I'm aware. Um, another one that stands out to me is, I believe it was the first episode, was, uh, the one where the girl saw the body in the, the, the uh, wall? wall, the, the yeah, it's like cracks she, and boners. she saw different things in different colors and right. ended up in the wall herself. She knew, she knew how colors tasted. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And I, uh, that was definitely, um, that's a good one. Yeah. And I. It's, it's the type of. Most of these have been I'm good. Fucking high, yeah. Most of these have been good. No, don't worry about it. I'll always round us back to yeah. the topic. Uh, I would say most of these stories have been good. Only, only a couple of them, like, a couple of them are just like, eh, they don't kind of stand out. But some of them are just, some of them are compelling. I think some they've of them waited long enough. We should begin. Oh, I just, I like to. To Fair talk enough. about it a little bit. And I think getting into it, this first one that we're going to read, I actually think it, it's like a major discussion or like interview okay. between peoples. So what's going to happen is I'm going to read it, but we're going to share the dialogue yeah. because I think it's mostly dialogue. Um, and the title of this one, this one's called Hangman Games. At a recent Halloween party, we had a contest to see who had the best horror story. But it's my kind of party. Sadly, I didn't win, but Steve did with another story from his interviews. He has kindly allowed me to reproduce the transcript below in full. Steve is the character from the last episode who met with inmates and uh, uh, yes, mental yes, yes. patients. Yep. And he he's been in a couple. Oh, he's he told he told like almost the entire last episode. Yeah. The, he, told and this bigger, was... he told bigger fish to eighth orphan. Mm-hmm. This was the the. Um, the tie from one episode to another that I was looking for. Like, if you remember all the way back to the end of episode one, like, everything I've looked for in this story, they've given me. Yeah. I decided to edit this transcript only slightly and not cut it down. So it's a long read, but trust me, it's well worth it. Thanks for agreeing to this, Sarah. Are you comfortable? Yes, I am. Good. Uh, do you need anything before we start? Like, some water? No, no, uh, I'm okay. Just, uh, maybe... Do, do you have any more tissues? Sure, just let me grab them. Here you go. I'll leave the box here with you. <laughs> Thanks. So, are you ready to start? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Uh, why don't we start with how you're feeling right now? Numb. It's just like every other day. Never gets any easier. I understand. What you've been through is tough. It is tough. I mean, you know. It's just hard. Um, let's try taking some deep breaths, and let's just start at the beginning. Okay? Is, is that okay with you? Let's start with Tom. <sighs> Alright then. What can I say about Tom? I really miss him, you know? Oh god, I really do. It's been so long, but I I can't stop thinking about him. 
It just, it hurts so much, it, it really kills me inside. It's little things, you know, like, uh, death by a thousand cuts. Like, when I'd put some clothes from the wardrobe, and his cologne would still linger there, I'd find myself curled on the floor sobbing for the next ten minutes. Or when I used to watch TV on the couch, and that actor we'd both make fun of would be on, and I'd turn around to make a joke and then remember... Tom's not really there. Throughout the day, I just couldn't stop thinking about him. Something would happen. I'll make a mental note to tell Tom later, as he'd love it, before remembering he won't be home, waiting. You know, I still lie in bed at night, just having conversations with him about my day, uh, even though it's just me doing all the talking. I'd hate myself for doing all this to myself. All this torture, why can't I just let it go, you know? On good nights, I might be able to cry myself to sleep. On bad nights, I'd just lie awake, wishing, and I was, wishing and I was asleep and would never wake up again. Uh, we, we can't account for how the grammar is written sometimes, folks. Yeah. Also, I'm stoned and can't read grammar. My you head. read it, though. I did read it. Uh, I read it as it's printed. Right. D yeah. Luke was the only thing that kept me going. Luke's your son, right? Yeah, that's right. Luke's the only thing that helped keep me sane and focused. It's like, uh... You know how they say amputees can still feel an itch the after their arm? phantom limb! <laughs> <laughs> after that's their arm or, or leg is gone? Like phantom limbs? Phantom limb! It's like that. Adventure Bros is like one of my favorite shows, and Phantom Limb is one of the stupidest. <sighs> Your senses and logic may tell you there's nothing there, but you can still feel itching, and you can't scratch it. Except it's not a, a limb that's been torn away, but half of you. That part that used to make you feel whole. Where once you felt completeness, you're just left with this emptiness inside. You know it's not there, but you can still sense something, and it frustrates the hell out of you that you can't just ignore it, nor reach out and grab it either. You know what I'm saying? I still feel Tom around. Yeah, I hear you. How long were you married to Tom? We were married for 11 years. Though we'd known each other much longer. Almost 19. Though we didn't start dating until three years after that. Uh, we found out he had cancer about four years after getting married. There was uh, about a year after we had Luke. Uh, he hadn't been feeling well. But we'd been putting off seeing a doctor. There was just so much to do in those early years starting a new life together. It got worse when I was pregnant. Tom had even less time, busy making sure all our bills got paid. Besides, he said the last thing he wanted was for me to be a worrywart. It shouldn't be good for the baby. But do you know what? What really kills me? Thinking back over it? It's the one thing I feel very angry at Tom for, but I feel so guilty for being angry. The doctor said, if only he saw them sooner. 
they may have detected the cancer earlier. Then it may not have spread. Then he may have been operable. Then he might still be alive. And that... I'm sorry. I, we I just... Can, we can pause and take a break if you like. No. I'm... I'm okay. Well... Not really, but you get used to it, I guess. Are you sure? Okay, then. So, you were telling me about Tom. Yeah. Seeing him waste away, he was one to shy away from a fight, but halfway through his chemo, you could see, you could just see his spirit melting away. You know, I still remember how he looked that first time he held Luke in his arms. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. He had these big teary eyes and this great big smile. He was so sure that Luke was going to be a sports star like his dad. He couldn't wait for Luke to be old enough for them to throw a ball around in the yard. By the time Luke was old enough, Tom was already too weak to even lift a ball, let alone go outside. He would just lie in bed all day, too exhausted and weak to do anything. Instead of playing sports together, father and son played pen and paper games together, like uh, dots, box, or tic-tac-toe. Luke really loved playing hangman, though. It was his favorite. He loved guessing letters at silly words or phrases that his father would come up with. And he really loved drawing that little hangman figure. He drew that a lot. He was terrible at the game, but it didn't matter. All that mattered was his dad loved playing with him too. I see a bit of foreshadowing there. Just a, just a little bit. I don't like bit. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know where that's going. I would sometimes find them both asleep in bed, covered in paper. Tom would get tired easily and had a habit of dozing off, but rather than wake his dad, Luke would decide it was his nap time, too. He'd crawl right next to Tom and fall asleep hugging him. It was a real Kodak moment, you know. I really wish there was a way it could have lasted forever. If not for me, then at least for Luke's sake. But life doesn't work that way, right? That day when Luke woke up, but Tom didn't. When I found them both, he was holding on to Tom, hugging him tightly. He was crying and pleading with his dad not to go. It can't be time yet. I love you, Dad. Please don't go. We still haven't finished our game yet. He cried. You know, despite everything, I don't think there was ever a day that Luke felt his dad disappointed him. Except that last day. Because Tom left without saying goodbye. And they're gonna, like, put his, like, hangman sentences together. It's gonna be, like, a sentence that yeah, says, like, like... Your mother killed me. Honey, she, she Tom, run, run fast, far away from your mother. She poisoned <laughs> me my entire life. Get away from that bitch. So it was 
pretty hard for the both of you, understandably. How did you cope? I don't think we did. Not really, anyway. My therapist suggested that I take up writing, uh, to keep a diary. Every time I thought about Tom and how much I missed him, I should write something down. What I was thinking, how I was feeling, get it all out of my system. You know what's funny? I filled up three of those journals in the first few months, just thinking about silly things I'd remembered, all the things I wanted to say to Tom. You know, we already had known each other for so long. We knew each other so well and could finish each other's sentences, we were always open with each other. But you'd be surprised just how much there was still left to say. There's still so much more I wanted to say. So much I wish I had the chance to tell him before he died. And the really funny thing is, I would have given anything, anything to talk to him again. Sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for, though. Right? <laughs> right? And <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And what about Luke? He, he became very quiet and sullen. He kept holding on to that paper pad and wouldn't let it go. Uh, he'd spend hours looking through all those old pages of doodles and games. I once asked him if he'd feel better if we played them like he used to with Tom. He just shook his head. For him, that pad contained all the happy memories of the times he'd had with his dad. What if, like, the games, like, just kept going? And the kid's just, like, playing with a ghost. Yeah, like a Ouija board style. It's like Jack Frost, except your dad's fucking dead. <laughs> and he's yeah. not a snowman. <laughs> and he's, like, communicating some weird shit. Yeah, he's telling you, like, how, like, Hitler still fucking, like, paints in hell. <laughs> For him, that pad contained all of the happy memories of the times he'd had with his dad. All the doodles they drew together. All the games of tic-tac-toe. And that one, never completed, game of hangman. It wasn't the photos of what Tom looked like before Luke was born. Or the gaunt, tired figure lying in bed that Luke remembers his dad by. It was those games. To him, it didn't feel right for anyone else to finish it. It would be like desecrating the memory of his dad. I, I guess I could appreciate that. But that changed, right? Your report said... Yes. It changed about four months after Tom's death. Luke bounced back to normal. I thought it was because children are more resilient, you know, sometimes they recover a lot quicker than, than we adults do. He stuck to his room most of the time, but at least he was smiling and cheerful again. I was uh, cleaning his room one day and found his notepad. Uh, he had flipped through each page with me dozens of times before, retelling me the memories of Tom for each one. It was more real to him than the photo albums were. I sat down on the bed and flipped through them again. I got to that last page with that unfinished Hangman game. Except he had completed it now. 
it wasn't the last game anymore. Hell yeah. There were dozens of pages filled with new games of Hangman. I wasn't sure what to make of it. When Luke got back home from school, I asked him about it. He was a bit angry, a bit scared, and a, a whole lot of evasive about it. But he eventually said he'd tell me if I promised not to get mad or punish him. So, what was going on? His uh, best friend at school had seen how sad Luke was about the death of his father. He'd given Luke a present one day to cheer him up. It was a Ouija board stolen from his sister. He told Luke it was for speaking with the dead, so now he could talk to his dad. He would not. He, he was told not to tell anyone so they wouldn't get in trouble. Luke told me he's been using it to talk with Dad, and they've been playing Hangman ever since. And how did you react to that? I didn't know what to think at first. I was skeptical, shocked, horrified, all at once. Uh, part of my mind was flashing warning lights, saying it's dangerous to be playing with spiritual forces we didn't understand. Another part was saying it's complete horseshit, but all that noise was drowned out by the only question I really cared about. Did it work? I was desperate. I wanted to talk to Tom again so badly. I would have given anything for a chance. Even if I did look, end up looking a bit foolish, it was a price I'd gladly pay a thousand times over it if it worked. <clears throat> so after Luke had gone to bed, I took out the Ouija board and set it on the dining table. It seemed like such an innocent thing, you know? Just this faded white board with a fold right down the middle. It had two rows of letters from A to Z at the top, and then a row from zero to nine at the bottom. The top corners had words yes and no. The, the bottom corners said hello and goodbye. You, you've seen one before, you, you know how it works, right? Uh, it also came with this glass ring, just slightly larger than the letters on the board. So I placed my fingers on it and waited. Have you ever fucked with a Ouija board before? Uh, once. And I pushed it. I was, the, I was that you guy. You were the guy. I was the guy. Um, I had no desire to. I really didn't want to. So when they invited me, I sort of wanted to be the guy so that I wouldn't have to do it ever again. I've watched. I've never wanted to participate. Yeah. I um, mean, I'm very, like, you know, especially in that time, I was very religious. So, like... I just, I just know that there are some things I don't want answered, and one of those is, like... Does, yeah, yeah. What would be gained from talking to someone who's dead? It's like, nope. <laughs> so I'm good. Um, so in this situation, in this context, I'm, I care more. The way they've presented the story, like this is this is a, a fucked up situation for a, like, a, a wife and a son. Yeah. They have unfinished business with their husband. You know, that's like the number one fucking ghost thing. Mm -hmm. So there's some strong spiritual energy there that might, you know, come to the forefront. Nothing happened. I pushed the ring around a bit with my finger. It glided smoothly on the board in whichever direction I pushed it. I sat there staring at the board for several minutes, feeling very stupid. Why would I even think this would work? What was I thinking? 
eventually, I decided to try again. Just in case. You never know, right? So I touched the ring again, very gently this time, with as little pressure as possible. I whispered, Are you there, Tom? Please, let me know if you are. Nothing. Then, the ring started to move. Slowly at first, then faster. It moved to the Hello in the corner. I gasped and let go of the ring. I must have just sat and stared at the thing for like an hour, as if it was possessed. Well, I I guess it, it was, kind of. Uh, I, I placed it on my finger again, and I asked, Is that you, Tom? The ring edged up to the... Yes. ...in the corner. Okay, then tell me. What's my favorite color? Without hesitation, the ring went to... T. Then slid a step to the next letter. U. Then doubled back to... R. Then stopping briefly before continuing to... Q. I remember my heart was beating so quickly at that moment. I could feel my finger pulsing with the blood pumping hard through my veins as it just kept a hold on that ring. It was making such small movements. Was it really happening? Or was it just my subconscious moving the ring through my finger? But it didn't even need to finish spelling turquoise for me to know it had the right answer. So I asked another question, a harder one, which only Tom and I would know. Where did I get the scar at the back of my head? It was the scar. The scar was hidden under my hair. No one except Tom even knew about the accident that created it. Venice. By the time the ring was over the letter C, I could barely see the letters anymore. My eyes were so wet with tears, the impossible was happening. It was Tom, and we were talking. I told him I loved him and missed him so much that not a moment went that I wasn't thinking of him. My finger was still on the ring as it started moving. Not alone. Tom was always with me, watching over me. No, I don't feel so alone now that you're here. As soon as I finished my sentence, the ring started moving again. Not much time. I blanked. What did he mean? What was he trying to say? He didn't have enough time together before we died? Or that he didn't have much time before he needs to go again? No. You left us too soon. Luke misses you too. Look after Luke. I am, and I will. It's been so hard without you here, you know? Or are you saying you've been looking out for him? Because he says you've been playing hangman with him. I waited for a response. But the ring didn't move. I waited and waiting. But it didn't respond to any more questions that night. Something's coming after Luke. Uh, maybe. Or maybe Luke's been playing with uh, something that isn't his dad. Yeah, maybe that. Well, 
Yeah, maybe. Uh, eventually, I went to bed. But you know what? For the first time, for as long as I could remember, I was actually smiling. It may have only been a few words, but to me, it was everything. Did you try to contact Tom again? Of course I did. Every day I could. It was my obsession. Every opportunity I had was sitting there with that Ouija board. I would do anything to hear more from him. And he did get in, in contact with several times over the weeks. I'd be sitting by myself with the board set up, like I did every night. I'd keep whispering, are you there? Every few minutes until the ring finally started to move again. I'm always here. It was very slow way to talk, but I treasured every moment of it. We talked about Luke and how he was doing in school. We talked about our honeymoon. We talked about the dates we used to go on together. I told him a thousand times how much I still loved him. Touch yourself. <laughs> no, it's... It, yeah, it really, I mean, essentially it does. I mean, I'm, it, it says, I yearn for you, but... The truth is, he'd be like, yeah. bang that clit. <laughs> Slap I'm that shit. I'm doing it too. Oh my god. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And then suddenly there's just ectoplasm. There's just ectoplasm yeah. all over the fucking board. We talked about anything and everything. Uh, it was sometimes surreal. Sometimes it was even passionate. She, like, took the planchette and, like, played with her nipples. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you feel that? Yeah. What does that read? There were some funny ones. Uh, you know? It seemed death didn't dull his libido. He once even spelled out, I watch you shower. Another time, I told him that I didn't want to go to sleep because the box seemed empty without him. I miss his warm, waking up next to him. I lie beside you when you sleep. It was almost enough to make me go to bed. Um, um, oh. um can we talk about what happened that day that you found Luke in his room? Oh that um yeah i guess uh that that's what this is really all about isn't it that's what uh that's why you're here i figured we'd get to this part eventually if it's not too hard to talk about it's it's fine i've gone through it a thousand times before with the police what's one more like i said i'm uh numb now it's still a blur really sounds cliche, but it really was like a dream. Your mind tries to absorb so much of what is going on to try and understand it that it just gets jammed up. Everything just happens in slow motion, and bits and pieces just dropped and forgotten, you know? Uh, I honestly, I don't remember much of about what I did that day. Uh, just that I finished making dinner, called for Luke to come down. He usually yells back to me he's coming, uh, even if I have to yell again every few minutes until he shows up. He didn't respond that day. Uh, I eventually got tired of yelling and went to his room to get him. Uh, he was lying face down on the floor, 
His neck was twisted at an odd angle, and his eyes were staring blankly at the wall. Near one hand was his pad and paper, and on that damned, cursed Ouija board near near his other. I yelled out his name and rushed over to him. Uh, I held him in my arms. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't breathing at all. His head lolled on his shoulders. His neck was bruised, purple, and snapped. Uh, I was holding him tightly, panicking, uh, trying to get him to breathe again. I just kept screaming his name over and over and over and over, hoping he could hear me. I just held him in my arms. My baby. My poor, precious baby. His limp, lifeless body. What happened to him? I, I, I was hugging him tight and kissing him. I refused to let him go. Uh, not after losing Tom. I couldn't lose Luke too. I was rocking and 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 back and forth and with my boy in my arms. My eyes landed on the pad he was scribbling on. He had been playing hangman again. I glanced at the words. You were never alone. Said the t the one at the top. I read your diary, said another. I am the hangman. Further down the page, it is sickening realization that it may not have been just been Tom that I had been communicating with. You were warned. At least not after that first night. A sharp chill began stabbing at my heart. Now you are E two L T E. The last game at the bottom. A completed drawing of the hangman figure scrawled beside it. I screamed that day until my chest burst, and there was nothing left inside me. It's the last last thing I I remember. Inside I'm screaming, you know. I don't think it will ever end. Transcript ends. Sarah is currently serving a life sentence for murdering her son, Luke. She did not contest the guilty verdict and has no plans to. That's intense. It's real intense. Yeah. Real fucking intense, dude. I mean, the hangman thing is a little bit on the nose, but, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't blame it for going there. It's it's very very creep show of it. I very Stephen King of you. I wonder what was in the diary. Like that's where I'm at. Um, cause like I, we're assuming that they was someone else, right? It wasn't Tom. He said him. you were never alone. I read your diary. I think I think the kid's just sad. I think he was so sullen. He was like, I don't have anyone. I don't have anything. My mom's a stupid bitch. My dad died from cancer. Fuck fuck my life. I fucking hate everything. And I think this I think this thing was just like, hey, I read your diary. Like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I'm gonna fucking kill you. This, <laughs> Mostly because This you're is what you asked for. for. Yeah. Mostly because you're asking for it. I can get off on this. Like, yeah. don't worry, kid. I'll take care of you. A curious um, mind, as they say. Curious mind is a terrible curse. 
That's true. That's that is the most curious of minds. Like if you sit down at a Ouija board, you are the the cat that's about to be killed by curiosity. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, the minute they said Ouija board, I like disconnected from the story. I was like, you you accepted all of this when you sat down to uh. use it. You know, like yeah, you invite this upon yourself. I feel very little sympathy. <laughs> for for yeah. people who who perpetuate that type of tomfuckery, you mm-hmm. know, it's like um these things are tabooed for. It's a like specifically going out at night to break into a place where someone was murdered and everyone claims is haunted. Literally, you're asking for it. Yeah, like <laughs> you can't me to movement <laughs> this. They were asking for it. They were asking to get killed. When you do that shit, when you invite. Mm-hmm the the ghosts into your house, the spirits into your home with a Ouija board, and you neglect certain aspects of it, and you use it for the wrong reasons, and you use it too much, you're mm-hmm. gonna get taken advantage of. And I don't need to watch a bunch of horror movies to make that assumption, you know? Um, moving on to the next one, it's just straight up called Family. We are family. Oh, my brothers, sisters, and me. We are family. Come on, everybody, let's sing. I I don't know the rest of the song, but I'm going to make up lyrics. I'm going to go and get high. I don't know that much of the song. I'm going to smoke so much. Here we are reading stories. And don't really stoned. We are family. <laughs> you got your water. What was your cup of choice? Uh, Ghostbusters was closest. Uh, Universal is releasing uh, four more, uh, four more cups, uh, anniversary cups. These were for horror nights. I had uh, Stranger Things, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Universal Monsters, and Ghostbusters. And I think the Universal Monsters is a California exclusive that isn't sold anywhere else, so I feel dope for having that. But they release four new ones for their 30th anniversary, and it is Jaws, uh, Kong, uh, the Kong Encounter, the old one, Back to the Future, Ooh. and um, E.T. Nice. And I'm going to get all four of them. Maybe yeah. even when we're down there, yeah. if I can't get them online. But anyway, we family this is going to be part 15 i just had a long overdue catch up with brad brad to and to check on how emily's family was doing since their tragedy in some welcome news they are now expecting a new child to join their family brad had another brad. story for me though one that kept me awake the the past couple nights i've captured it below to help get it off my mind and we're in it oh he's doing the he's doing the rod serling shit again in a universe (laughs) filled with choices but with only one life in which to make them regret becomes inevitable uh, regrets for things done... Should I do that voice the whole time? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, regrets for things done or left undone. For words said or left unsaid. At that moment, when our life is fading, we will see it all over again. How would we feel 
about those decisions we've made. <laughs> I'd do a shaka bra. <laughs> <laughs> I'd wiggle my hand left and right, pinky and thumb out. Would we be proud of those moments that defined us? A whole ton of coke. <laughs> <laughs> Too much coke. Too much coke. <laughs> those moments alone, when we think no one else is watching. How we treated those we loved and those close to us. Brad was Brad. not. <laughs> Brad was not the only child in his family. He had a younger brother, Paul. <laughs> they could not have been more opposite to each other. Where Brad was brash and wild in his use. Paul was introverted and con con contemplative. And like many siblings, their childhood was one of constant warfare with each other. Looking back, Brad admits that he was arrogant, possessive, and obnoxious. Uh, any of those traits alone would already have given him an excuse to hate on his little brother. But it was really the fear of the burnt man that really started it all. You throw in, you throw in the burnt man, and I'm I'm sold. <laughs> You're seeing like a a man on fire, like in, I'm not in your sold just yet. That's terrifying. I'm sorry, but I'm terrified. As an only child, Brad enjoyed the attention and adolescence. Uh, that brought him. That changed when his brother, Paul, was born three years later. At first, Brad loved having the idea of a brother to play with. He imagined they would play together and be best friends. That idea disappeared when he discovered Paul was a useless baby <laughs> that only cried, <laughs> smelled bad, and demanded constant attention. The second year wasn't much better, with Paul starting to get a larger share of Brad's toys and presents. I'm done. I'm done reading the names. <laughs> they keep bringing them up. I wanted it to be like a one-time gig. I'm done. I'm done. Fair you enough. can read the story now. It it becomes. <laughs> I, I see like eight more Brad's on this page alone. It became really bad in the third year when Brad had to give up half his room and share it with Paul. He found that they were they had nothing in common. Where Brad liked being loud and attention-seeking with others. Paul just babbled and talked to himself. Cuckoo gaga, I'm a baby. Brad loved being outside and active. Paul preferred to stay indoors and help with his crayon set. They're slowly migrating to the same fucking voice for me. <laughs> what unsettled Brad, though, was what Paul would draw. There would oh, no. be the not creepy kid drawings. Yeah, I'm fucking out of this story, man. Your kid's possessed. I'm sorry. <laughs> Drop him off on the side of the road and just keep driving. <laughs> there would be the usual things that every child draws: houses, animals, trees, and family. What was unusual was every drawing of their family always had an extra person. Fuck off. Their parents Fuck off. <laughs> would be right there. I'm Gordon Ramsay, and I'm telling this story to get a new fucking job. And Brad and Paul, all drawn in rainbow hues, right next to Paul, will be a mysterious figure drawn in black and red. The family faces all had big smiles, and the stranger was a dignified mess. Two black circles for eyes and a shapeless mass for a mouth. In every drawing of the stranger, he was missing an arm and had red streaks running through all over. 
Over time, this stranger began to feature more and more prominently in the drawings. Fuck that. Brad and his parents would no longer appear in them. Just Paul, playing with the stranger inside the house or outside in the yard. At first, their parents just thought it was a face, but eventually became concerned enough to ask Paul who that was. He told them it was his friend. The burned man! He always he had always been there for as long as Paul could remember. I call him BM. He never said anything. He just stood there, watched and listened. It's a good old BM dropping BMs every day. They concluded it was just a imaginary friend. Granted it was a bit more unsettling than having a dinosaur or an elf for a friend, but at least Paul wasn't drawing some real-life predator. He's actually just like a real big fan of the Fantastic Four and he's just trying to draw the human torch a whole bunch. Yeah. It's my favorite. He's the burning one. <laughs> the one who's on fire. <laughs> I don't know. This seems very, uh... Way more cliche than, than... On the nose a little? Yeah. One night, when Brad was eight and Paul was five, they stayed awake after their parents had tucked them in. Brad wanted to know more about the burnt man. Paul said that he had been in an accident, a fire that had burnt down his entire body and face. It had melted his eyes away and made his arm go missing. He was very sad. It fucking hurts! <laughs> Paul didn't find the burnt man scary, though. Uh, he had always been around and never did anything, just watched and listened. That's terrifying. Brad told him he was stupid for having an imaginary friend. There is a horror movie, um, We Are Still Here, which has really great practical effects um, because the story is about a house, uh, a family that was murdered uh, by a house fire and their spirits, much like the story, uh, linger around the house and like the grudge kind of possess it and the effects are so good that every scene that these people show up in, there are still parts of them that are like on fire and smoking and they're just sitting there like down at the like kitchen table just like watching. I'm, I'm tempted to... Um, just quickly show you a picture on my phone of what I'm talking about so that you understand that how terrifying this, this story can be. Um, it was a really good movie. It might still be on Netflix. Shout out for everyone. Okay. Broken, crackling, always yeah. just like watching, sitting in the back of a scene. That's real creepy. Yeah. Really, really awesome horror movie folks everyone should uh everyone should give that one a view it's a it's a little indie indie art house horror paul yawned and simply replied that he wasn't imaginary he was in the room with them right now in fact he was standing right next to brad watching and listening as he did every night hey what you got there you, you trying to take a little sleep Trying to take a little. <laughs> right. You got some drool coming out of your mouth. Brad felt. I'm on fire. <laughs> Brad felt a chill go up his spine. That was me. He had always been a brave child, but for the first time in his life, he felt fear. That's my finger in your butt. <laughs> he, he looked around in the darkness, not sure if the shadows were his imagination or the burnt man. Waiting for him to go to sleep. I'm waiting for you to go to sleep, stick a thing in your butt. <laughs> Brad didn't go to sleep that night. Fuck. <laughs> and concluded that he needed a room of his own. 
He could no longer share a room with his annoying brother and his creepy friend. Fucking, he, you, you creeped me out. Get out of here. Fucking, I fucking hate you. So he, but he couldn't admit that he was afraid either. So his eight-year-old mind came up with an idea. The plan was simple. Make it so painful for their parents to keep them together that they would be forced to keep them in separate rooms. So began their adversarial relationship. They fought over everything for many years, often physically. Each prank they played on each other escalated into new rounds of retaliation, all to the chagrin of their parents. It would take six more years until they they moved to a bigger house and were able to have separate rooms. At last, before the feud started to to die down, the burnt man had been all but forgotten by this time, replaced with pure amnesty for each other. Animosity. And <laughs> bless it. Animosity for each other. But on the first night in their new home, Brad remembered waking in the middle of the night and seeing a figure sitting on his bed, watching him. It stared at him through hollow eye sockets and moaned at him through an open jaw. It reached for him with a horribly burnt hand. The other hung uselessly by its side, with the lower half missing. Brad screamed so loud, it woke the entire house, and the figure had disappeared by the time he blinked. When Paul came into his room to check what all the commotion was about, Brad told him he saw the burnt man. Paul laughed and said he hadn't seen him in years. In fact, he could hardly even remember him. In any case, they couldn't see him in the room now. Paul closed the door as he left, then reopened it quickly, shouting, Boo! before laughing again and walking back to his room. For Brad, the memory of it seemed very real, though. It wasn't just the terror, but the overwhelming sense of sadness he felt from the encounter. Another incident was when Paul was... 17 and involved in a hit-and-run accident. He was rushed to the hospital in critical condition, and the doctors weren't sure if he would survive. Paul was lying in bed with a, with a coma, and his parents crying around him. Brad could see a figure through the, the corner of his eyes, standing by the wall. It was the burnt man, watching Paul intently. Just go already! Why are you still here? You're not wanted! Just leave us! Brad remembered shouting at the figure. He got a severe reprimand from his parents, thinking that he was shouting at his brother. Paul is dying, Brad. It's time to put your stupid feud behind. We're a family. For God's sake, act like it. His father had rebuked while his mother cried. <laughs> the words stung Brad, especially since he couldn't explain that he wasn't shouting at Paul. Uh, he quietly fumed, then stormed out. Paul did recover two days later, though, and was out of the hospital a week later. The last incident was 15 years ago. The burnt man was never seen again by either of them since. Brad had become a serious and buttoned-down computer analyst since then. Paul married, had two children of his own, and had saved countless lives through his job as an EMT. They had developed a grudging respect for each other, though their lives had drifted off in different directions over the years. 
The Burnt Man was just another long-forgotten childhood memory, filed away and never thought of again until recently. Only a recent tragedy brought it back into sharp focus. A few months ago, Brad learned that his brother had died while on duty. He was on scene with other emergency services dealing with a factory fire. You gotta be careful, because most of the time those they explode once, and then they spread to more chemicals, and then they yeah. explode again. A chemical storage... A chemical storage tank had unexpectedly exploded near his location, dousing him in burning chemicals. The flying shrapnel had sheared off his left arm at the elbow. Paul was 32. They did the fucking Hill House. Yeah. I applaud this story for maybe pulling off the Hill House before Hill House was a thing. Seriously, that's fucking awesome. I love that shit. You see your own vision of death your entire life. And a life of many regrets. Paul now has one more for the list. Brad. Brad now has one more for the list. He never did let Paul know how proud of him he was, and that despite their differences, he loved him as a brother. He regrets that his last words to Paul weren't goodbye, but a text message which read, You suck! I've shot better excuses than that. It was said in, in jest about why Paul didn't have time over the weekend for a beer, but it was devastating knowing it would be the last memory both had of each other. So every now and then, Brad talks to the silent in the room, hoping that his brother, the burnt man, is still around to hear. Not much older and wiser, he no longer fears the burnt man, but fears that the only one listening might just be himself. One that can only observe in silence, powerless, to stop whatever fate awaits him, judging him with regret for the decisions he's made and is yet to make. It's a haunting tale. And I love haunting of Hill House. So, uh, I give that story an A+. Did you watch Haunting of Hill House? I did not. Solid fucking program on Netflix. I, I recommend it to everyone. Now, that's just one of the twists in Hill House, and I think it's revealed in episode, like, five. It's halfway through the season that a ghost that someone has been seeing is really themselves before their death. Um, but they are dead since the first episode, so I guess it's kind of just like a revelation at that point. Okay. Um, I still recommend the program. Deeply emotional. Still about a family. I actually don't know why I didn't put that together. It's about a family. Shirley Jackson. That novel was written in, like, I don't know, the fucking 30s. Maybe this guy ripped off a hill house. I don't know. Yeah. A little anyway, bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Uh, we're moving on to part 16, which is uh, how to see the future and why you don't want to. I, I always feel like these fucking titles are talking about the last story. It's always a really fun... Yeah. Uh, anyway, here we're taking a shift, but it's something kind of similar, mm -hmm. you know? How to see the future, and why you don't want to. 
I don't want to see the future. Yeah, no thank if, you, If please. you had Nicolas Cage's power from next, where you get to see, like, 22 minutes into the future, would you want that? I don't want that, please. I would... I would feel compelled to take advantage of it, uh, because I have a, uh, I have a hero complex. Yeah. <laughs> I do not. I know I'm a spiteful bastard. I'd probably end up killing somebody. Right. Like, like, I'd be like, that motherfucker's gonna steal a hundred dollars from me. Push. And push. Yeah, like... If I know I could get away with it just at this one second when no one's looking and the camera shuts off and dead. Oh, just got away with murder. <laughs> Shit. How to see the future and why you don't want to. It's been a long while since I've heard a story that I thought was worth sharing. And this is definitely one of them. In Greek mythology, Cassandra was given the power to foretell the future, but so cursed that no one would believe her prophecies. When Robert shared the following story with me, I couldn't help but be reminded of how fate often mocks us, as it did Cassandra. Robert was a colleague of my friend Steve, and new to our little circle. When that circle includes a few psychology graduates, deep and meaningful conversations tend to be par for the course. For example, does free will exist? Or is every decision we've ever made, and will ever make, already determined before we're ever born? Does the future already exist? Can it be predicted or changed? You know, the usual circle-jerk philosophy questions great thinkers have debated for over a millennia. For us, these discussions were just a way to pass the time. We never really expected to have a definitive answer. But when Rob tells us he knows the truth, and had a mind-bending story that could prove it, we listened closely. He would even share with us in detail the experiments he had to run to test the hypothesis, but also warned us that we may not like the answers. Isn't this that movie Scanners? Uh, you kill yourself for like just a yeah. second so you could see the future. Yeah. But then it's it's revealed that they all start to see their deaths very shortly thereafter because killing yourself over and over again is not a good idea. Yeah. With such buildup, how could we not pay attention? Within psychology circles, it's somewhat cliche to say that the concept of now is really an illusion. For example, this very instant that you're reading this text or hearing these words, it has taken light some time to travel to your eyes for your eyes to convert these photons to electrical and chemical stimuli, for those signals to travel to the neurons and synapses in the brain to process, and then for your body chemistry to react. Much like these words have to perforate through these speakers and come into your eardrums and bounce back out one at a time in little seismic waves. I mean, we also have the big gap of publishing time. That's true, too. So technically they are in the future listening to us right now. Hell yeah, they are. Sup, future? You suck. Yeah. What we think of as now, in reality, has already passed a few fractions of a second ago. We are forever living in the past, as our brains are constantly playing catch-up. Our reality is merely an illusion, a mental hologram created by the mind to interpret all the data flooding in from our senses. Let me take a hit real quick. You know? Because I, this is too much. I was recently thinking about something like this, because I had... So I had a TV when I lived um, in my house a couple years ago. Man, it's been a couple years... Uh, and this TV, it was very large and bright and it looked gorgeous, um, but I couldn't play 
mini games on Mario Party on it. Specifically the baseball. Yeah. Like just unplayable. <laughs> and it, it didn't dawn on me until I recently went back to my parents' house during quarantine and I played a game on uh, a different TV. It was Diablo. Uh, and I went and played it on that TV, which is now in my parents' basement. Uh, my dad bought it off me when I moved. Uh, and it it was unplayable after just being playable a little while ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's the fucking TV. Yeah. Like, I'm hitting the buttons, but it's in the past already. Right. There's a lag. Yeah. The, the whole idea of experiencing life is a lag. You're making decisions and your body is acting them. And then we're seeing that. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. I also have terrible reaction times. So I just thought it was that. Bob and his research partner, Carol, were looking to test the idea as far as they could. If time and perceived reality is purely mental construct, could the mind be trained to respond to it differently? Break the matrix. Yeah. Could your brain, for example, be conditioned to think faster? Or slower? Could your perception of time be significantly slowed, so your reaction times correspondingly increased? It would be like yeah. accessing deeper levels of your mind, Inception style, at will. If it were possible, it would have revolutionary implications for fields as diverse as education, economic productivity, uh, health, science, and technology. Well, the problem with that is that your, your time is bent by your speed. Well, that's what they're saying. If your perception changes, so does your speed. So what they would have to... Because it's it works kind of the opposite of that, where, like, if you go really, really fast, your time goes really, really slow. So are they saying, I want to... Yes, they're like, agreeing with that. They're saying that if time is slowed down, that you can essentially absorb more information. But, so, so when you think of, like, a, a wormhole in terms of, like, physics, right? Yeah. If I am to travel light years away to a different planet, um, the, the concept is that it would take my physical body 33 years to do this. But you, when I get there and we start communicating, would have passed, like, 133 years. <laughs> yes. You know? So they're trying to flip that around and say, I want to slow down so that while you're spending a week, I have a month to train in my... A hyperbolic chamber. The hyperbolic chamber. Yeah. Your mind is the hyperbolic chamber. Yeah. yeah. Rob and Carol spent months figuring out how best to create a practical, easy, reproductible experiment that could test their hypothesis. After much debate and tinkering, they developed an ingenious device they dubbed the Inceptionator to do just that. It was a comparatively simple system that consisted of three basic parts. A virtual reality headset, like a crude version of the Oculus Rift, that finally covered a volunteer's <coughs> eyes, an attached camera that projected images to the headset, and an image processor that could modify the footage from the camera. Four Inceptionators were created for their tests. Carol and Rob would personally each use one, with the other two given to volunteers Alice and Dave, who weren't aware of what was being tested, so they would just act as the control group. For the first few days, they acclimated 
to wearing the headsets and getting used to going about their daily routine with the device set to a normal 30 frames per second. And after the calibration period, the experiments could properly begin. Virtual reality typically wants to be at about 90 frames per second to yeah. prevent motion sickness. Yeah, I agree. I, I immediately said that doesn't sound yeah. correct. Like, and they keep, or I think it's 70 actually. Because 30 is film, which would just make everything look like a dream. Yeah. It would be really weird. You'd, you'd, you'd see your actions turning your head would like mm. make you want to throw up. Whatever, I forget what the exact number is, but it's it has to remain at that frame per second constantly. It can't go one below, it can't go one above. With you know? movement. Yeah, with yeah. everything. Like, the whole system has to be that way or you'll get sick. Well, to pre prevent certain people from getting sick. The first of their experiments involved reducing the frame rate from the camera stream by half, dropping to 15 frames per second, so each frame lasted twice as long. Though time was passing at the same rate, the world through the lens seemed to slow down for all of them. They themselves moved. <laughs> I'm like imitating a robot. Yeah. Uh, the real world, like they were walking in molasses, just moving really slow. They found that their own thoughts also slowed down and felt more relaxed than normal. After a few days, they switched over to the second set of tests. They doubled the frame rate to 60 frames per second, and everything seemed like hyper-reality. A lot more fluid than usual, but otherwise had no appreciable impact on their perceptions or abilities. You know, they could have gotten this a very similar effect with a lot of cocaine. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say a lot of uppers. Yeah. A lot of uppers. Fucking... Here's some Adderall. And the first one... Your is, frame rate just doubled. The first one is downers. Yeah. <laughs> just drink a whole lot. For the third experiment, they flipped their projected image to upside down. And this would test if a perspective change would also alter their thinking process. And at first, it was completely disorienting, and they completely uh, found themselves bumping into everything for all intents and purposes. It seemed like drunks wearing strange headsets, much to the amusement and laughter of all observers. But after a couple days, their minds had adjusted and adapted, and they could function perfectly normal. And by the end of the experiment, they barely even noticed that the image was upside down anymore. It actually replicated how the eyes really saw the world. And their brain's software had no problems flipping it around. But once adapted, there seemed to be no different in perceptions or thinking ability. While these were all fascinating, it was the next set of experiments that were the real tests, and the ones that changed everything. So this time, they would introduce a slight delay to the video feed, so it no longer would be in sync with real world, and initially this delay was set to a half a second. It was a very small lag, almost imperceptible, but a big enough impact for them to seem if they had been smoking pot all day. Their reactions were just too slow for the most basic of tests, like catching a ball thrown at them or trying to play any sports. Like the previous test, however, Alice and Dave managed to adjust after a few days and could function as normal. Most interestingly, these two could react to events before the visuals were even displayed on their headsets. For example, they were now able to catch a ball thrown at them before they could actually see it leaving the thrower's hand. Their minds were perceiving the subtle movements in the thrower's body, the auditory cues, and compensating to anticipate events as they were happening. 
Bullshit. You'd have to guess where it was coming. They were, in effect, experiencing the actual now, and their brains were working fractions of a second ahead of what they used to be. A fraction of a second. Carol and Rob themselves didn't show as much progress in adapting, and so dropped out of their roles as participants. They focused instead on being observers and documenting their experiments in great detail. They tried further doubling the lag time on the Inceptionator from half to one second, and for Dave this proved too much of an increase. After several days, he still acted like a stoner wearing tech gear on his head, showing no progress, and he was dropped from the experiment shortly thereafter. But Alice was a different story. After just 24 hours, she had fully adapted. Her brain had fully compensated for the lag, and somehow she was now able to anticipate events before even the subconscious cues would be signaled through the headset. But the most unexpected and incredible result was that what happened when she wasn't wearing the Inceptionator. Rather than being in sync with her now, her mind appeared to be working ahead of time. Her senses seemed heightened to super-sensitive levels. She would know if someone was at the door before the sound of knocking could be heard. She could tell you that your phone was about to ring. During one lunchtime walk through a park, she suddenly ducked, barely dodging a football that otherwise would have hit her in the head and knocked her over. She was developing what Rob was affectionately calling Spidey Sense. I'm fucking in. I'm into it, too. This, this is my... Yeah. Swearing secrecy on the project, they continued with their testing, but now solely focused on Alice. They increased the lag time again, this time to two seconds. It took Alice just 14 hours to adapt. Her skills became astonishing and seemingly impossible. Now, if they aren't giving this chick acid while she's doing it, yeah, then what's then the point? Maybe <laughs> I was gonna say maybe like, they'll do what MK Ultra was trying to do. Yeah. Alice could now call the cards in a randomly shuffled face-down deck one by one before Ooh, they were flipped that's over, fun. or call the outcome of a coin toss with 100% accuracy, but only if the results were revealed within the two seconds of making them. If the delay was more than two seconds, they would invariably be wrong most of the time. She started to develop the habit of finishing other people's sandwiches. Yay, Sentences. sandwiches! Implausible as it sounded, the Inceptionator was somehow training her mind to actually run ahead of reality. Carol and Rob wanted to see how far they could push the ability. They increased the lag time to 3 seconds, and then 5 seconds, and then 10 seconds, then a full minute. Each time, after shorter and shorter periods of adjustment, Alice would adapt. Her skills were now at full-blown freaky proportions. She knew what you were going to say before you said it, as if she were reading your mind. She could predict the entire deck of cards before they would spread open. One weekend, they even had the bright idea of testing her skills at Blackjack in a casino, and they won over $17,000 before the pit boss accused her of card counting and had them banned. It was clear that her mind was somehow seeing into the near future, and they had the tool to train this ability. It was an incredibly exciting time for all of them. Dude, if I won 17 grand playing blackjack, you know what? <laughs> I, you have addiction. It's the same, <laughs> it's the same goddamn answer. 
cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> Though they had some debates about the ethics of continuing this experiment, the promises of this incredible scientific discovery was too tempting to resist. They were on the cusp of being able to answer the great philosophical questions about the nature of space and time and causality. To prove if the future was written in stone, or if the flow of the great river of time could be rerouted. But they needed more specific experiments designated to test specific variables. There seemed to be rules and limits to what Alice could predict. Her accuracy was strong only within her lag time limit, or temporal horizon, as coined by Carol. Outside of that, her guesses were not better than random chance. This itself was creating new paradoxes that they needed more time and tests to explore and unravel. For example, why did this temporal horizon exist? Was it because the future knew what choices she would make, or was she simply able to predict them because she had made them already? Or did she, by making a prediction, lock the future into a certain outcome up to the temporal horizon? I'm too fucking high. I'm really high. Oh, God, worse. They wanted to be very thorough and very sure before they made their research public. Another unexpected side effect of the experiments was that after months of conditioning with the Inceptionator, Alice's brain no longer required it to continue honing her abilities. So she's a fucking superhero now. Over time, she pushed her temporal horizon to five minutes. And then ten minutes. She's like the kid in gym class and who's like, how much can I bench press? No, she's oh, like whoops, fucking, I'm Superman. She's like Dr. Manhattan now. She yeah. is She is ten feet to the left having a conversation with future you. Then an hour, then six hours, then twelve hours. But her newfound powers were also starting to take its toll. Yeah, when's she gonna die? Her body seemed increasingly out of sync with her mind. She was becoming restless and fidgety, as if her body was trying to keep up with her thoughts. Like... Her body started subconsciously reacting to events well before they happened. I mean, at some point she's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, at some point she's gonna push too far and won't be able to, to reel it back. Yeah, she's gonna you know, see her death and her body's gonna not well, know what to do, so it's just fucking vegetables. Yeah. Ragdoll. Even, <laughs> even at some point, like, 12 hours, like... Your body then has to remember what you were doing 12 hours. Like, you have, to, you have to try and synchronize yourself so you're doing everything twice. You'd probably have to put the headset back on and scale yourself back down. Yeah. Like, I could see myself surviving two seconds, you know, if, if I had the foresight to be like, okay, in two seconds I need to do this to catch the ball. Yeah. You know, I could do two seconds. But if you're telling me twelve hours, twelve like, hours is too much. Okay. Knowing knowing what's happening to me in twelve hours is too much. Yeah. She began suffering from frequent bouts of narcolepsy, suddenly falling asleep mid conversation, and then jerking awake, screaming with nightmares. She was also becoming increasingly erratic and paranoid. She spoke of seeing phantoms that were future echoes floating in and out. More disturbingly, she occasionally would shriek vaguely about entities all around that weren't human and shouldn't be here. It was around this time that Carol and Rob decided the experiments had gone far enough and to publish and go public with their findings. 
This was Nobel Prize winning research if it could be peer reviewed and independently replicated in other labs around the world. It would have much bigger implications than Watson and Crick's discovery of DNA or Max Planck's quantum theory of subatomic particles. It was also increasingly clear that Alice needed urgent medical attention. Carol and Rob invited Alice to their office that afternoon and informed her of their decision, and Alice reacted vehemently, refusing to cooperate and saying that the experiments were already too late to stop. She refused to see a doctor. She can't reel herself back in. Screeching that it would lead down a path where she would simply be a medical curiosity to be strapped to a chair and experimented on for the rest of her life. Also scary. She would also not allow the research to be published, as it would lead her down the same path. The argument escalated when Carol bluntly stated she was going to publish anyway, and it wasn't Alice's decision to block. At stake was a Nobel Prize fame, fortune, and immortality in the history books. Carol wasn't going to throw away that opportunity. The shouting match only ended when Carol stormed out of the room with Alice screaming, You will never publish it. Never. You hear me? Never. And she slammed Carol's chair violently against the wall with a large cracking sound, as if to reinforce her point before leaving. Later that evening, Carol and Rob met for dinner to discuss their options. By the time they departed, they both agreed the best option was to have Alice sedated and then put under medical observation. She was increasingly paranoid, and a danger to herself and others. As the instigators of the experiments, they had a duty of care they should have exercised long ago while they were swept up in the excitement of their discoveries. It had been a tense day, and by the time Rob got back home, he was exhausted. It didn't take long for him to fall asleep, but he was awoken suddenly during the night to see Alice standing over him in the dark, watching him sleep. Pressing her finger tightly to his lips, she whispered in a raspy voice, Shh! She pointed all around with her hand, We are not alone. Rob tried to yell, but found Alice's hands wrapped tightly around his mouth before he could emit a sound, and he looked around in the darkness, but he couldn't see anyone else. Alice's head jerked from side to side as she surveyed around the room. They can hear. They see you. They know what you are doing, she softly hissed. They both stayed there in silence for what seemed like half an hour. Alice then finally released her grip and headed out the bedroom door. She moved with a jerky, shambled gait with an uneven, slow, then rapid pace as she left the room. Rob took a deep breath to gather his thoughts before he reacted. It was then that he noticed that her shadow was still silhouetted against the wall, and only drifted out slowly to follow her long after she had gone. Rob quickly got out of bed to relock the front door, wondering how she even managed to get in, and he was freaked out by the whole incident and wasn't sure if, his, if he dreamt the whole thing. His heart was pounding, and he was just about to dial the police when he decided it would be better to talk to Carol in the morning first. He double-checked the locks, then went back to his bed into a shallow, fitful sleep. When he awoke the next morning, he felt groggy and terrible. He added panicked to the list when he realized he missed his regular morning alarm by a couple of hours. Uh, it had been somehow switched off. 
When he did finally arrive at the office three hours later than usual, it was to a scene of chaos as firefighters were putting out a raging blaze that had consumed half the building. A forensic investigation would later declare it would be an accident caused by a cracked power socket next to Carol's desk chair, sparking a fire when she turned on her computer. Yeah, okay. In her panic, she had accidentally toppled over piles of books and research papers stacked around her, trapping her as the fire spread rapidly, consuming her, their research, and the equipment. Rob would later find his personal backup files and the ones at Carol's home were missing, and all their online backups of the research deleted. It was becoming obvious that Alice knew what they had planned for her. How could she not? She was ten steps ahead of their every move. After dealing with authorities, Rob went to Alice's home a few days later to confront her, and he found her front door was unlocked. He barged in and almost wretched at the sight before him. Alice was disheveled, and her previously youthful features seemed to have aged decades overnight. Yeah. Her hair was a tangled mess, matted and clotted with blood. He was horrified to see that she had deeply bloody gouge marks all down her face, neck, and arms. Tiny strips of dried flesh hung from long, jagged, and dirty fingernails, along with the remains of two eyeballs still hanging by their optic nerves. She stared at Robert through the Ooh. gaping holes where her eyes used to be, and hissed, I've been expecting. She stalked around the room more gracefully than she had in weeks, like a tiger sizing up its prey, and when she spoke, it was with greater clarity and power than ever before. Oh! Why so shocked? Why the pity, the horror, and revulsion you feel when you gaze upon me? Are you not proud of your work? Does it offend you? Does it disgust you? This wretched walking corpse you see before you? Well, know this. It's but a pale imitation of what I saw when I look upon everyone. I see all your deaths. Unwilling, screaming, pitiful, painful. You all are already dead. You just don't see it yet. But I do. I see it all. That's all I see! As Alice's maniacal laughter filled the room, Robert had to run from the room to puke outside. After wiping his mouth, he pulled out his phone to call the police and an ambulance. By the time they arrived a few minutes later, Alice had already gone, leaving only a fluttering curtain blowing over an open window. The police filed her away as a missing person, and she still has not been found, nor is it expected that she ever will be. Over the years, Rob has moved across the country, and even tried to replicate the experiment once, and the siren's call of rebuilding his research was too big of a lure to resist, but he never got any further than the first week. All of his volunteers freaked out, claiming to see a disheveled, mutilated face oh, just God. outside of their vision, and phantom fingers brushing against their arms and face when they have headsets on. At night, a few would see that face staring at them through the background of a mirror. 
I love it, man. I love mm-hmm. it. It's like it's like the invisible man, you know, like you just you created this monster and it it knows where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing because mm-hmm. it knows the future. So it just fuck and it's real. And it's a real thing and yeah. it's just fucking following you. I I would kill myself. I wouldn't want to see that fucking every day. I'd be like, you got what you wanted, I'm sorry. It's well, like, <laughs> he's not seeing it. He's getting test subjects. Well, the I test mean, subjects are seeing it. Yes, the test subjects are seeing it. But I'm just saying, living with the anxiety and the paranoia yeah. that this chick is maybe even shaping your life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Your life is completely out of your hands. Isn't it always? Fair enough. Rob finished his story by asking if any of us were willing to be his new volunteers and to share in the glory of his discovery, and we looked at each other, not quite knowing what to think. None of us took him up on his offer. He chuckled and said that he wouldn't either, that the universe tends towards equilibrium and what the gods give with one hand, they take away with the other, he mused. Second law of thermodynamics, or simply stated... There ain't no such thing as free lunch. We had resigned. He had resigned to himself that research would never be completed. After all, how could I possibly outsmart an opponent who already knows how the game will end? Yeah, exactly what you said. I think that's that, so fucked up. Yeah, I think that if he avoids the research, he's so never going to run into her. So fucked up. Like pretty fucked up. <laughs> It's the only thing that, that, that Not that a fan of how fucked up that story was. I don't know. It felt like once once the theory was explained, like I saw exactly in my head what was gonna happen, is that the girl was gonna have the ability to go forward, but not back. So eventually she would just go forward because that was her only option. And but then eventually she would hit the, the end. I expected it to the point of death, though. Instead, yeah. be, she became fucking well, Madam Webb. She was dead, though. That's why she was, like, ripping at herself, tormenting. Because, she, like, She's her, not her head was dead, but no. her body still had no. X amount of years to catch She's up. Still, she still seeing what she saw before she ripped out her eyes. Yeah. She's trying not she to see it anymore. She looked that far ahead. Yeah. She's trying not to see it anymore. And she can't go backwards. She went too far forward. She plays out her future Donnie Darko style. Uh, a curious mind, man. Curious mind is a terrible fucking curse, bruh. Bruh. I'm fucking sweating in here. Tis to be expected. Big old boy's tiny little room. Yeah. This next one uh, Just gonna do the is smart called... Uh, this next one is called... You're never alone, especially in the dark, which is uh, the last thing I wanted to tell myself. Yeah, we're gonna be playing more uh, more golf tonight, aren't we? Because I'm I mean, I'm breathing heavy. I mean, I mean, wouldn't be against it. Yeah, no, uh, I, I've I've had a fear of the dark my entire life. Yeah, uh, it plays tricks on the mind. And there are times I wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night because I thought I saw something in the corner of my room. I do literally, physically, have to get up, turn the lights on, and I'm usually armed while I'm doing so. That's fair. With what? Uh, machete. Okay. That's fair. Long and pointy. Yeah. Stabby, stabby. Slashy, slashy. 
Um, I went so, too yeah, long. don't tell me I'm not alone. I'm I'm definitely alone yeah. in the dark. I'm touching no myself. No one's here. No, no one's here but me. Maybe the dog. I think we're alone now. Yeah. <laughs> there doesn't seem to be anyone around. <laughs> what does the title make you think of? Ah, the kind of tie-in with the last one where, like, someone's always watching you, making sure you're not doing the thing they don't want you to do. Oh, my God, it's Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I see you when you're sleeping. I yeah, know when you're it's, awake. It's Santa Claus. I know if you've been bad or good, so let me touch your butthole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with, with the ball of my cap. Part 17, you're never alone, especially in the dark. Since my last story about Rob's experiment struck a chord, here's another thing that I've heard that keeps me up at night. Great. As always, it's thanks to Steve's circle of contacts that I even know of this story. Steve's a great guy, great friend. As, I don't know if I'm supposed to be male or female here, whatever. As noble as science aims to be. You always have the fun fucking, like, theoretical speeches at the... You just had a theoretical speech that made no, both of our heads hurt. It was science. I had science talk. You got the Mine fun... Mine says as noble get... as science aims to... Oh, But okay. you get the fun Rod Serling fucking, like, theorize... Yeah. Like, as noble as science aims to be, the very people driving it are all too human. That's fair. That's fair. I have, like, It's, it's Twilight Zone. Yeah. As noble as science aims to be, <laughs> the very people driving it are all too human, with all our faults and frailties. In pushing the boundaries of our knowledge, we sometimes open very dark and gruesome doors that are best left shut. Literally Twilight Zone's opening theme. <laughs> we perform the unspeakable on each other. Absolving our sins by justifying it for some greater, greater good. good. <laughs> greater good. I <laughs> just think of hot, hot fuzz. The greater good. It's how Japan's infamous unit, unit 731 <laughs> or Yosef Mengel. Joseph Mengel, hello, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> were allowed to commit the atrocities that they did during World War II that history has so condemned. In the world of psychology, uh, the work of Harry Harlow would be placed in the same company. Harlow was a pioneering researcher on social deprivation and sought to understand the nature of love and depression. It's my fucking life. His uh, methods were, however, unethical at best. Same as my life. Uh, for example, his experiment from the 70s like, the uh, pit of despair is, to put it mildly, <laughs> some seriously fucked up shit. He had uh, rhesus monkeys hang hung upside down in the dark for months on end, deprived of all social contact or stimulus, just to test how insane they could become. The female monkeys that became too unsocial to mate, he had tied to what he called rape racks and artificially inseminated them he would give the resulting young to these unwilling mothers to test their parenting skills some people uh some people are best just put down yeah just go to sleep just go to sleep don't get back up <laughs> one 
held her baby's face, and there's quotes around this, held her baby's face to the floor and, and chewed, chewed off, off its fingers feet. and feet. Chewed off his feet and fingers. While another crushed the baby's head. Great. But as infamous as Harlow's work was, this story is not about him. Wonderful. It's about another researcher, far less known and much more private, who was fascinated by Harlow's experiments and following in his footsteps with his own take. Even worse. Known only as Harlow's apprentice. To those who know him, he's been pushing the ethical boundaries in his pursuit and hunger for the unknown. He's been, like, taking dicks off and putting them, like, right and on your chest. <laughs> yeah. He's been like taking your butt cheeks and putting like, them like on your, your <laughs> putting, temples. Putting them right on your ears <laughs> so you have something to lay on. Makes your head nice and soft and cozy all the time. It's, uh, it's ants in the eyes, Johnson. Also, <laughs> I can't feel anything. He's taking ants and he's putting them in the eyes <laughs> of people. And they've gotten used to it. <laughs> Some even have jobs. On this world exists several places that for all intents and purposes, seem like ordinary rooms, known as an an echoic, an echoic, an echoic yeah. Yeah, chambers. The only strangeness are that the interiors are completely covered with sound absorbent material, removing even the loudest echoes or external noises from the room. Yeah, but like those are where musicians go to play and. Uh, people go to do scat. Yeah. Even about the Budapest. Just walk by any any room if you, if you even hear the faintest bit of scat run. Normally used for recording music or testing sensitive equipment, yep. these chambers are so quiet that their ambient noise levels are often measured in negative decibels. Oh, is he going to get to the, to where they say if you're ever like surrounded by like point zero like silence, you'll literally go crazy? You ever hear about that? No. That there are certain places like caves hollowed out in the earth that have like driven people mad because it is so fucking quiet that you almost hear your own like thoughts and shit. That's creepy. You've never heard that. I mean I'm I have. Yeah. Man. But like I don't know. Like you could hear like your hair growing and your your blood moving through your body. You I know? I also feel like I could ignore that. I ignore I'm, a lot of I'm shit, stoned. man. Like, if I can ignore noise, I can ignore not noise. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Because in my head, I'd just start singing some fucking song. Exactly. Like, I'd be in the middle of a podcast or a movie or or some form of media. She's just a girl who says I am the one. I'd be looking for a notepad and a pen constantly. I won't write these ideas down. There, uh, my my inner them. monologue is just pre-awful yeah. uh, Michael Jackson, pre, pre-white pre MJ. That's fair. It's like I enter like a zero decibel room <laughs> and I'm just like, it's the thriller, thriller of the night. <laughs> and I'm just having, I'm just fucking jamming, <laughs> moving the shoulders. <sighs> Negative decibels. Some are also built underground further reducing any other interference from the outside, such as light, temperature, and climate. Which was exactly what Harlow's apprentice wanted and had access to. 
funded by a private and wealthy benefactor, his research was to explore the human mind in its purest form, free from all physical stimulation and senses. He reasoned that such a mind, free of all distractions, would give us a greater understanding of ourselves than we ever thought possible. In this state of nirvana that so many followers of Eastern religions have sought to attain for centuries. The benefactor was Elon Musk. He often joked that his, his ideal experiment was to find a volunteer, break their spinal cord at the neck, to sever their optical and oral, uh, oral nerves, and to cut their tongue until all that was left was a functioning brain. The only problem was that his volunteers wouldn't then be able to provide f the feedback he needed. <laughs> so an underground, soundproofed, and climate-controlled room was the next best thing, and much more practical. Ironically, thanks to the backlash from Harlow's experiments in the 70s, testing on animals is strictly regulated, but non-medical experiments on humans are much less so, especially when there are plenty of homeless, destitute, and desperate folks who welcome some quick cash and a, a warm meal and clean up. The tests were straightforward enough after being fed and fed, washed, and provided with some light clothing. The experiments require the, the subjects to be comfortable. The volunteers were briefed on their task. Inside the chamber, a 50 by 50 foot room covered from floor to ceiling with a black foam-like material uh, would be a single padded chair. The participant would be strapped in to avoid Bending. contaminating the tests by volunteers touching or hurting themselves and fitted with various biosensors. During the experiment, the lights and humidity levels would be lowered, effectively dueling all the senses as they sat alone. Yeah, I feel like um, this is like uh, this is like Stephen King's The Jaunt. Like this is like seeing and understanding darkness, like the deepest, like to the point where it's like you look into the darkness and like you see something, like you reflect, you, um, you know, you. What what's the saying? You like you look into the darkness and the darkness looks back. Yeah, you know. Attached to their clothing, clothing would be a lapel mic, so they could speak out what they were experiencing, while their vital signs were monitored. Also, there were no speakers in the room, to avoid any sounds interfering with the sensory deprivation. There would be absolutely no contact with the test controllers once the experiment started until it ended. At any time during the experiment, they could end it by asking for it to stop. The longer they lasted into the experiment, the more they got paid. However, once stopped by the participants or the researchers, e.g. due to signal loss on the biosensors, the experiment would be considered contaminated. The lights would immediately be restored and the single door opened for the researcher to come in. Even so, no one has ever lasted more than 53 minutes. See, part of me would be like, alright, I'm gonna go to sleep. But, like, then you're not yeah, that's, contributing to the yeah. experiment. Get out of here, you bum! But I was tired! <laughs> that actually does sound like... Haunting. Uh, boring. 
Yeah. Like, if you gave me a pen and a paper, I could go forever. I th- I th- but no, no, see, that's not the point. Exactly. You are you are tied to a chair yeah. in complete, soundless darkness. You, you're, you would go insane. I'm, I'm fucking, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I think anyone would. I think you just break. I think something, uh. something about you starts to make up something in that darkness because you, as a person, perception is reality. You know, like we say that a lot, but like, what do you perceive in total soundless silence? Like, it's supposed to have effect on you. Mm-hmm. Like, the darkness is like a big Lovecraft thing. It's supposed to have a fucking effect on you. You know? So, you know, it's... it's we're probably gonna hear some fucking shit yeah. go, go down. Typically, the first few minutes strapped inside the chamber were always an adaption phase. The participants would find the room slightly disorienting, without really knowing why. It's because there's not even the slightest echo, which we are normally subconsciously tuned into even though our sense of balance is slightly off. Uh, giggling and laughing would often follow as they start testing the acoustics of their staging envir- environment. Yelling and shouting, or in one instance even yodeling, uh, only to find the walls absorbing everything. I'm like thinking about doing this experiment right here in this room because we would have the same exact reaction. It's so fucking quiet down here. It's like lights off. See, but... But the the whole thing is tainted because then it's it's something else. Yeah, yeah. my head turns it into a competition. <laughs> is, can I can I wait longer can than I you? Last the shit. Yeah, like at the ten minute mark, what was left of the dim lights would rapidly die away, totally depriving them of sight. After fifteen minutes, the already dry humidity levels have fallen significantly further greatly dulling their sense of smell, taste, and temperature. Many participants would describe this point as feeling like what they imagined floating in space would be, or uh, being dead. Around 20 minutes, most subjects have started to run out of things to say, and loneliness begins to set in. This is about where I think I would make it to. See, I'd be fine, because like I said, when I'm uncomfortable, I start to sing songs. Yeah. When I'm alone, I sing songs. So if you're telling me I have, like, a perfectly alone, like, perfect-sounding room with no echo, I'm, like, busting out notes trying to, like, you know, trying to get, like, the best out of this experience as much as I can. Yeah. I, it breaks the entire fucking experiment, because I, I know about it, and yeah. theref- therefore I'm affecting, you know how the darkness is affecting me. I but mean, part of me thinks I, I'd be I'd be too entertained. Yeah. There is part of the experiment that wants someone to know. You know, how how is it different if they know versus how is it different if they don't? Yeah. Most subjects have started to run out of things to say and loneliness begins to set in. Most make a comment that they aren't even sure if anyone's listening to them anymore. Their eyes have adapted to dark but due to the black interior room lining and complete absence of any light sources, they see shadows in shadows at best. 28% of participants have dropped out by this point, uh, many with panic attacks. Around 11 going stir-crazy experience, highly elevated vital signs and maddening, mad- madly shouting expletives 
However, the test is not stopped in these instances unless they specifically ask for it to be. The remainder absorb the isolation and sit in silence, trying to make sense of the situation. By the 25 minute mark, 81% of participants have been quiet enough to notice that their internal body sounds are now greatly amplified as their mind strains for even the slightest input that they can get. Every breath they take sounds like a thundering train passing by. Every swallow of their throat is an explosion going off in their brain. Every heartbeat is the dull thudding of a jackhammer in slow motion. By the time 30 minutes have passed, most have experienced some form of sensory hallucination. This tends to vary from person to person. Some report seeing patterns of light dancing all around. Uh, others have reported the smell of decaying flowers or feeling frizzing all over their skin. This often triggers a sensory cascade, bringing back memories from their childhood. Uh, the whip of a cane, the death of a parent, the bread from a kitchen, uh, that time they almost drowned. For many of the participants who have spent much of their life running from or suppressing the past, these were often traumatic and highly undesirable. 41% of participants have dropped out at this stage. At the 34 minute mark, a quarter of those remaining volunteers report hearing Morse code, faintly at first, but growing louder against the noises from their own body. All of them report three dots, three dashes, three dots, then a stream of gibberish. After a few moments, the pattern seems to repeat. After 37 minutes, all the hallucinations start to converge on the same themes. Regardless of the participant or their backgrounds, they all report that the room is getting noticeably warmer, though no adjustments have been made to climate levels and indistinct voices calling to them are heard. Some have identified these as coming from their long-lost people from their past. At 39 minutes, young children have heard laughing with an unusual high pitch. It's never perceived as being threatening, but all participants have described it as seeming sinister or unnatural. I need to get really fucking high because I don't want to remember this. I was gonna say that's that's a little haunting the whole like like I've been so I've been alone at night like laying in bed able to hear my own heartbeat and, sure. and like feel very existential and like anxious of my surroundings I lived on a farm for a long time where you know like uh, the closest human being that I knew to me was like miles you know like that's isolation man most are now speaking random gibberish in between sentences to ward off the silence. Their vital signs are starting to show strong signs of anxiety. More than half of the volunteers, 58%, have dropped off by this point. By the 43 minutes have passed, the laughing has morphed into chanting from a dozen different voices. It's never in a language that the participants speak and often decide, described 
as ranging from Tibetan monks to Georgian chants, Gregorian, Gregorian chants, or even hornets and bees singing with snakes. Sanctus Dominus. I've been watching. <laughs> Only 27% of participants make it this far. At the 46th minute, everything suddenly stops. The participants hold their breath, and between their booming heartbeats are moments of pure silence. Until a deep voice whispers, always into their left ear for some unknown reason. He is coming. Prepare. Is there a way for you to put that in one channel and not the other? I am coming. <laughs> uh, I can't stop it! I can try. <laughs> I can try. Fair enough. Uh, just 13% of the participants make it beyond here. <laughs> oh yeah, you want to come? Come on. <laughs> I'm in the 13%. <laughs> Bring it on, tough guy. At the 47th minute, those that have lasted this long have greatly elevated heart rates. I'm waiting for you to come. Often approaching 200 beats per minute. Hell yeah. Punctuating every dozenth beat is a deep vibration. Like a heavy footstep slowly approaching from behind. Their chests are pounding like their souls want to burst free from whatever is getting closer. 93% of test subjects have yelled stop by this point, begging and crying to be released. Alright, you got 350. At the 48th minute, children's voices are heard again, screaming and panicked. Run! Run! Go before he arrives! The few remaining participants that have made it this far report a dramatic temperature drop their teeth chattering and whole body shivering. At 49 minutes, a voice describes in detail how they will die slowly and painfully, their skin torn from their flesh after a thousand incisions are made to prolong their torment. Yeah, so you're just, you're gonna, one day you're just gonna lay down and take a nap and uh, you're just not gonna get back up afterwards. I'm, I'm sorry if that's not terrifying to you, but like that's just how it's gonna happen, and this is just my job. I'm just supposed to let people know how it is they're gonna die. This is what you make of it, man. I'm, I'm sorry, like this is just... Less than 3% of participants have bravely and foolishly gone past this point. At the 50th minute, the booming vibrations growing even louder from behind suddenly stops. There is complete silence for a minute. Even their furiously galloping heart beat and ragged hyperventilating breath seems muted. For another minute, there is deathly silence. A heavy, moist breath is felt down their neck and a strong smell, like a mixture of chlorine and rotten eggs, fills their nostrils. A couple participants reported feeling a warm, large tongue licking at the back of their neck. Only four participants endured beyond this point. 
At the 52 minute mark, laceration marks start appearing on their arms and shoulders as participants scream to be let out. Deep lacerations on their neck have also been found, requiring hospitalization. Only two volunteers have lasted beyond this point. At 53 minutes, only two participants, for whatever reason, never called for the experiment to stop. Neither survived. No one has lasted more than 53 minutes. It, it would, now that one I feel like cuts a little bit short. I feel yeah. like I feel like they could have said like at the 53 minute mark the people who have just been like cut and scraped and were once screaming now smile and then immediately die. Like, that's how I would have ended that story. That's fair. Because part of me is, like, I'm seeing the whole Martyrs, which is a popular horror film side of things, where um, in in the film they basically flay a woman alive, um, taking off every inch of her skin so that she can experience um, what is imagined to be um, one of the worst ways to slowly die. And she is, like, held almost as an experiment to let people know, like, her journey to the afterlife, pretty much. Um, and it's a cult forcing a young woman to do it. So yeah. she's, you know, she's yelling out what she's experiencing. And at the very, very end, she, like, she, like, whispers and the leader, you know, this is how the movie ends, the leader of the cult is just like, she's there, she's about to die, like, she's at the point, um, what is she gonna say, and she's, like, whispering, you know, she's dying, and she, she calls the leader of the cult over to her, and the cult leader kneels down, puts ear to the lips, the girl says something, the cult leader immediately stands back up, looks at her, looks at the room, takes out a gun, puts it under her chin, and fucking pulls the trigger. You never find out yeah. what the girl said to to the room or to the to the cult leader, but you just assume that their entire religion or idea or ideology of how to f- get pleasure from the eternal pain or whatever is completely fucked because you don't you don't want to know this shit. Yeah. Curious mind, terrible fucking curse. Um, but yeah. That last story was awesome up until a point. And then I thought it was hokey as fuck. Yeah, I don't know. My my fucking arm is tingling. That's probably because you're high. Yeah, that too. And you were s- sitting with it kind of in a weird position. Yeah, I had it up. <laughs> um, but yeah. The idea of darkness has never been like great to me. Yeah. But the I last thing I'm gonna imagine is kids laughing and like chanting and shit. Like that's just Exactly. My mind just isn't gonna go there, man. I lost it before it got creepy. So when it got creepy, it got real creepy for me. See, I thought the creepiness immediately turned hokey. because I, I just yeah. when the demons the demons <laughs> the spirits of the underworld <laughs> start to like creep into that's where you lose me like the ouija board thing like you just lose me like i don't necessarily believe in that spiritual shit so like if you lock me in a room by myself in complete darkness 
I'm gonna fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> it's just well, what's gonna happen. I think if they had like had the idea that like the the patients reacted differently, but also the same. You know, like I would have been behind that. But to say that they're all hearing this, they're all doing that. Yeah, it would have been know? it would have been cool if they had case studies of how multiple yeah. people were reacting like, differently. Exactly. If they had said in in But the in fact one of that cases, everyone just starts to mysteriously have scars and lacerations all their body, all proclaiming to yeah. hear some some great He is coming. The the nightmare lord, <laughs> like yeah. edge lord, is coming. That's where <laughs> that's where you lose me, because I immediately just troll you. I just troll you back. Oh, is he coming? Where's he coming? It's really hot in here. Can he come on my chest? Come on my face? Cool me off a little bit. <laughs> I actually think cum is really warm, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's, that's very that's warm. Very gross. So you're gonna like put it in your mouth, and your body gross. temperature's gonna immediately shoot up, mm, and you're like, like that's not what I wanted. It's like a Canadian <laughs> maple. <laughs> It's like, I'm really sweaty right now. Let me eat um, waffles. <laughs> Pancakes. <laughs> Flappajacks. Uh, we're going to read the last story. Uh, I, I'm going to read the last story. Uh, this is the, It brings it all back. It brings it all so. back to the beginning. The least likely monster of my childhood. Seems very straightforward. I think the narrator already talked about Gurgles and Bugman. I hope we're going back to that monstery <laughs> shit as a kid. Yeah. That would be a good way to end it. This is a story that I had written a while ago, but it had been very hesitant to post. It's just something really embarrassing and seems so incredibly lame when I look back at it. At the time, though, it totally freaked me out, yet I still have no real explanation for what really happened. You're trying to make us feel like, oh, this can't be that bad. Right, you're downplaying. Yeah, okay. I'm sure the you know there's a river and it's denial. Yeah, <laughs> there's no blood, there's no gore, there's no sharp teeth, no razor sharp claws. Yeah, but like some of the scariest shit does not have any of that. Yeah. Someone just like it follows. Someone just following you your entire life. The Burning Man. That never stops. The Burnt Man, right? Yeah. There's no claws. It was just a burned guy just staring yeah. at you. No one died, and no one got injured. So it just, it it just didn't seem. Like a great story, right? But I can't stop thinking about it. And I hope that someone might be able to shed more Ooh, light Poppy. on what happened. It was around the time of my encounter with Gurgles and Bugman. I can't recall exactly if it was before or after. Like that story, I had totally forgotten about it until my parents recently mentioned it in passing. It might be that the two events may even be... Related. I had a dream where I killed a boy. It was a schoolboy, and then he was dead. I think you're the only one backing that horse. It Probably. It would have been around the time that I was five or six, and back then my parents would drop me off at school early so they could start their day at the factory. So that I they went to in. Billy's house, and I killed him in his sleep. <laughs> After class is finished, I'd walk myself back home and have an hour to myself before my parents got home. They'd check up on me and make a quick Five? dinner before leaving again for a shift at their second job, cleaning up after patrons at the local cinema. From the time they left until the time they returned shortly after midnight, they'd make sure to lock all the doors and windows to the house. It was normal for me to be at home by myself at night. More often than not, the TV wouldn't be working, so I'd amuse myself with the random assorted knick-knacks in my room. 
As my parents weren't wealthy, I had to create my own toys, such as building forts with empty matchboxes for my makeshift Voltron, an odd collection of toy cars held together with rubber bands and popsicle sticks. To destroy, I'm a bit hazy on the exact plot back then, but I knew that my Voltron liked to destroy things. Most of the time, it would be pretty uneventful, but one night as I was playing, I heard a strange sound coming from the other side of the house. It was a faint scraping noise that lasted about a second. I looked out the door to my room down the hallway that led to the kitchen around the corner. Seeing nothing out of place, I continued playing. A few moments later, I heard the scraping sound again. While the lights were off in the rest of the house, the light from my bedroom spilled far enough down the hallway that I still had decent visibility. There was nothing I could see that was making the noise, though. I stopped playing, and I kept staring out into the hallway. The noise started up again, slightly louder, and with a faster pace. Suddenly, at the end of the hallway, a silvered helium balloon levitated into view. It seemed half-deflated in the way that it was slightly scrunched up, and floated lazily halfway in the air, with a string loosely hanging below. I watched as the balloon bobbed forward, tugging the string tightly, as it lurched and then letting it slacken again. It bobbed forward again until the shiny glint of the metal washer tied to the other end of the string could be seen. With each pull, the washer was scraping against the tiled floor, producing that sound. I was staring with total fascination at the balloon. Where did it come from? My parents could never afford a treat like this. How was it moving? At that age, the world did seem just that more magical. It's, it's fucking Pennywise. Yeah. <laughs> As I was watching, it slowly began rotating towards me. On its front was a printed face of a clown. It had totally exaggerated features, like comically large black eyes, a dark red ball for a nose, and these giant blue lips fixed into an exaggerated frown. Or at least it would have been comical if not for the way its features were distorted and collapsed by the balloon being partially deflated. In the partial light of the hallway, it seemed positively sinister. It had stopped moving towards the wall and started to head down the hallway toward me. Something felt very wrong, and a feeling of panic began to set in. It was now about a third of the way down the corridor, its painted eyes seemingly locked onto mine. I wanted to react, but was frozen to the spot. I came to my senses and, uh, and began throwing it at things that were within reach. My hands were shaking so much that they were wide of the mark and ended just hitting the side of the walls. 
My next few shots were closer, but I could swear that it seemed to dodge some of the particularly near misses. Maybe it was just the air turbulence as objects whizzed past it. I managed to get a hold of a jar of marbles from a nearby shelf. I poured some out and threw a handful all at once at the approaching balloon, and one managed to hit it at the top of its head, sending it floating backwards a few inches with a thwack sound. It gently rose back up like Nosferatu from his coffin, with a crease between its eyebrows where I had hit it. If anything, it now looked even angrier and malevolent. It darted forward more quickly towards me. You know, it's fucking ridiculous. Christ's sakes, it's just a freaking balloon and a half-filled one at that, right? I mean, seriously, how was it going to hurt me? Yet, I felt with great certainty I knew that whatever it was, it was there to kill me. Crying, I got up and slammed the door to my room before it could reach me. I sat with my back to the door, pushing against it as hard as I could since I didn't have a lock. I could hear the balloon rubbing against the door and the washer jingling on the tiles below. After a few minutes, it all went quiet except for my sobbing. I spent the rest of the night sitting up against the door until I fell asleep. It wasn't until after midnight that I was woken up again by my parents pushing on the door to check on me, and they chewed me out for making a mess in the hallway, almost tripping them over with loose marbles everywhere. I told them about what I saw, and they were rightly skeptical, but searched the house with me. We found no trace of it. The doors and the windows were still shut and locked as they should have been, and it wasn't until the following morning after I cleaned up at the rest of the hallway that I found a piece of the string attached to a metal washer in the corner. I showed it to my parents during breakfast and they said it was just my overactive imagination. They thought I probably made the made it for a toy in my collection at some point. I, I never did as far as I remember. And besides, there was no balloon, deflated or not, to be found anywhere. As part of my ongoing punishment, they made me walk to school that day. Who knows, maybe they were right. Maybe it was something I had created out of my imagination, like houses made of matchboxes and a Voltron out of rubber bands and sticks. Or maybe I'd just fallen asleep and dreamt all of it. All I knew was in my pocket was this infernal piece of string looped around a washer that I was scared shitless about. Why are you bringing it with you, then? I knew I had to get it as far away from me as I could. Being a kid, the furthest place I knew and could easily get to was a large parkland area just beyond the school and that afternoon I took a detour there on the way home and threw it as far as I could over the trees I've never thought about it again since until recently when I was reminded and never did see anything like it again I don't know if it still lies there on the ground or if it's dangling from some branch or whether Whatever force controlled it found its way to some other home. Never since I've remembered it, I've tried to hunt down more information about whatever it was. I've not found anything online or through people I've chatted with. I'm obsessed with trying to understand what I saw. It's for that reason I've decided to share this story here too, despite my reluctance. So I'd love to hear from you if you've ever encountered whatever this thing was too, and to say that I'm sorry. 
With the benefit of hindsight, I do wonder if I did the right thing. Maybe I should have disposed of it more thoroughly. Like putting it in a jar and burying it, or finding some fire or river to throw it into, or whatever could be the equivalent of Mountain Doom for a six-year-old. I can't help but feel that rather than getting rid of it, perhaps all I did was set it free. A curious mind is a terrible curse. I mean, it was phenomenal writing. I agree. The The entire story I, I, I did thoroughly enjoy. I know you probably hate when I show you images that I made make for this show. No, I, I enjoy I, it. But I made this. Ah, nice. <laughs> nice, nice. Creepy, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Very much so. Yeah, the the title I made the title card for this um for this yeah, episode. You fucking cheated. I no, see when you skip to the bottom of a story to get a page count, yeah, yeah. you I, kind of see just the the ending just bit. little things and and my eye when it sees clown, mm-hmm. I'm just like, Bleh. "Yep. No." I, I, I <laughs> and then that. I see clown balloon and I'm like, "Fuck to the na na." <laughs> but anyway, um I'm not going to say that the last story was the best, but what I will say is that it says something about the narrator, and it says that all of this shit that he's been telling us, like all of these stories, has been giving us knowledge, has been making us curious individuals. And I think what he's trying to say is that with curiosity in these situations, we almost welcome ourselves to these supernatural experiences. A little bit. Like, you are making yourself perceptible to the idea of these things. So, like, a part of your brain is totally willing to believe... Like any anything yeah. in in some in certain cases. If you're, if you're getting so, what you want, you can create any uh, explanation. And by sharing a lot of these stories with us, he is making us just as knowledgeable and therefore just as guilty as the people who suffer the curses of the knowledge yeah. that we are experiencing. Yeah. Um, I will say that. I thought that this episode was really, really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, but it was my least favorite of the three. Mine went second, then first, then third. Still very good. You know, it's kind of like a Lord of the Rings, where Return yeah. of the King is a, is a wonderful movie, but right. it's the worst of the three. But Fellowship is just so fucking good. Exactly. Fellowship is just a solid fucking movie, man. But I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. Would you put Two Towers over Fellowship? I do, yes. See, I still put Fellowship out first. That's fair. There's just I something about there's just something about the context and the setting things forward and Gandalf and yeah, for and me Boromir like like those are the only two times where you really lose someone that you care about. Yeah, and like as the series goes on, like nothing really happens in Two Towers, and then Theoden is like the best person I can think of that kicks the bucket. If you cut out Helm's Deep. Two Towers would be last for me. And oh, I, but I know Deep, that. But, but yeah, but Helm's Deep was in that story for that reason. Exactly. Which exactly. Is, which is why it's one of the 
best scenes and one of the best strategies and stories of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, but that being said, I, I do agree. I think, um, part of me thinks that he kind of hit his peak in the middle and then we just came back to the same ground he started with. I mean, I trailed off in a, you know, I don't want to, and I, I would prefer this over disappointment every single day of the week, you know, trailed off strong. Oh, we ca- it carried conclusion. it carried part of the course. Yep, is what exactly. I would say. And I think like part of me, if if I had any critique, it comes down to grammar, and it comes down to maybe finding. I personally would have reorganized some of these stories to happen at different times, like that last one. Yeah, I would have put somewhere in the second episode mm-hmm. as like a reminder during the experiences, whereas the adult experiences, like with the nursing home and with his aunt mm-hmm. and with like Steve and like the first couple stories on this episode, like that should have been the ending and the ending should have been like, and now I have a career in like investigating this shit. I'm, I'm still going with the waves of drunkenness, you know, and that in my head explains a lot of the, the grammar issues, especially because the, the most horrendous grammar issues were easily in the first chapter. I just chapter. assume that English is a second language. to uh, wrote it. I, th- I, I, I don't necessarily think that, um, I think that there were some very strong episodes where I didn't notice any grammatical errors. You know, they were they were le- they were there less often than they were there. But when they were there, they were noticeable. Yes, they were really weird. Which is again, you know, I'm fucking hammered and I'm I'm drunk texting and it doesn't make any sense. I don't know if anyone posting something on No Sleep is, like, hammered as they're writing their stuff, though. Like, they take it somewhat seriously. Go fuck yourself, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> I will be the exception. Okay. You you go ahead and write something, and then you can come back and read it on your next episode. That's right. It's going to be two pages long. Where am I? <laughs> I'm excited for that result. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as a whole... It was a really fun series and a really fun little adventure. Um, we've uh, we've gone to the depths of uh, human understanding and the darkness, uh, the, the darkness behind the darkness. You know, we've we've done that. We've done that shit. We did all that shit in this series, and um, there are only you know there are only so many things it didn't touch upon. Yeah. And, and for me, it was just like they never touched on aliens, and they sure. never and they never really touched on like um, essentially um, different dimensions. Aliens could have been an option for for some of them, like Bugman. You know, that could That's have been a, a plausible explanation. Do you think the kid was watching like an alien transmission of like? What aliens thought humans would want to see, just sneaking into bedrooms and, and maybe sucking the the spine juice out of kids. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it's not. That's yeah. true. But I just wanted, if there was one thing I wanted for yeah. this series, this this series, I just wanted one story about aliens, just like, and then you know, as, instead of the instead of the fucking lake monster story, I wanted a guy to just be like, I was in the middle of a field and someone probed my anus. <laughs> And then, like, that's the story. <laughs> but anyway. Well. Where am I? 
Yep, and this was episode... Fucking creeped out as we're on that. 166, where uh, we finished the... We finished killing the cat. There is no more curiosity left in the world. We know all the secrets. <laughs> I know everything. I'm going to rip my eyes out and I, jack off on everything. I hope that's the truth, because if... <laughs> If I find out otherwise, I, I'm I'm just I can't handle it. Oh man, if I, I, I knew I don't have everything, if I knew everything, man, you know what I'd do? Jerk off a lot because you've, you've seen everybody's titties. I'd I'd have sex. Yeah. Atlanta till we stand at the shore. At the shore.